Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. How do you pass up the opportunity to spit blood in Joan Baez's face? Face, face, face. <laughs> Hey, what's happening, Mike Schmidt, 40-year-old boy podcast. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for asking. I know all of you did. Uh, you never ask, but I ask you, and then I assume that you've asked me, because we're all in this together, folks. We're talking to one another. We're staring at each other's eyes. This is a Tinder date. This is like a, an internet Tinder date. You're there. I'm here. Uh, let's do it via Skype. From now on, the show's a Skype show. Actually, it's not. Yesterday, I did a Facebook chat, uh, and I thought that was going to be five minutes, and it turned out to be over an hour, fucking hour and 15 minutes. So, if you want to see me talking, go ahead to my Facebook fan club page, the Westside 86 Jokers page, and watch me yapping. Right there on the old screen. I'm sitting on a couch in my apartment. You'll get to see, like, the outdoors. Uh, you get to see Steven, the autistic guy who lives in my building. It's fantastic. Well, he doesn't come in. What if I had him as a guest? Hey, how's it doing? Let's Skype it up with Autism Jones. Oh. <laughs> I'm making that podcast. I'm doing it. Not even. It's, it won't be under the 40-year-old boy rubric. Uh, we'll call it Skyping it up with Autism Jones. And he'll sit there silently until a loud noise goes off and then he'll yell and cover his ears because that's what he does. He's a good guy. I love him. He's a well, love him seems strong. I've talked to him once in my life. Um, I've talked at him a few times and had him not return the favor. But you know that we've talked about that. That's neither here nor there. How are you? I am good. I'm warning you. I've asked you, how are you now twice? Uh, this is the dangers of being in the room alone because there's nobody else for me to ask how they are. So I have to ask you guys. Then I pretend that you answered me. And what the fuck, man? This show used to be something. This show used to mean something. This show used to mean something to so many people. Uh, and now everybody just kind of callously decided not to answer me when I asked them how they're doing. You used to answer me, you fucks. What the fuck, man? I warn you, we may be able to hear the uh, the neighbor. Uh, he's been at it. I, I regret to inform you the neighbors are at it again. Uh, I've heard noises through the wall. Nothing uh, crazy today, just more TV. But also, this is fucking bananas. I heard a dial tone through the fucking wall. Like, like that noise. Like, sometimes I'll hear his phone buzz. Um, which makes me think that the, the the quality of my ant farm is not the quality of others' ant farms. I mean, can you can everybody hear everything through the apartment? Um, I've heard like I've heard loud sex through his walls before, and I'm wondering if he can hear that through <laughs> through my walls because he would have been very busy for a long time. Uh, not recently, but uh, there was uh, there was a time and place where uh, he would have gone ahead and said, "Oh man, Mike's having a good time." Um, now I'm just alone yelling, "Oh fuck yeah!" Um, I don't do that. What if I did? What if you did that when you jerked off? You just, just angrily seized yourself and fucking ran off a bat. Oh, yeah. I actually snorted at that one. That was fucking, that's intense. That's some intense stuff right there. If you're snorting like the monster in the prophecy. Oh, yeah. God damn it. Uh, 
That would be that would be aggressive and strange. Just choking your cock and fucking going, oh yeah, God, yeah, that's right, fucking do that. Um look look <laughs> now you're going, man, I wish we heard the dial tone through the wall. I don't want to hear this shit. Uh yeah, you do. You always want to hear me. Oh, making the fucking noises. Uh, so a dial tone, it just, uh, th- but also the thing that makes me laugh about the dial tone is it means, A, he's got a landline still, which I guess is a thing, because I haven't had a landline in like seven years. Uh, seven? That seems high. Uh, two? Uh, I don't know. It could be 15. I don't fucking know. I had a phone for a long time, and now I don't, because I'm on the coast, folks. If you want to get me, get me on my cell. Get me on my, I, I'm, get me through my data plan. I can't have a landline sitting here trying to pick it up and talk to my fucking girl Friday. I just got to make sure you get me at all times and are on the move. Find me in the wild. Find me at home. Find me uh, with a phone that's in my goddamn pocket at all times. And uh, a landline just doesn't do that. A landline, it anchors me down, man. And so he's anchored down in his house. He's got a landline. I'm sure he has a cell phone too. What if he didn't? What if he just had a landline? Holy fuck, would that be weird? Um... But it isn't weird. You know what? That's the fucking thing is I just assume everybody has like fucking satellite TV and they have a cell phone and shit. And then you go to some places in the Midwest and there are people who are like, uh, they might as well be Zulu tribes. I mean, they got, well, that seems aggressive too. <laughs> I'm really making a lot of presumptions today. I'm not going to lie to you. This is, this is the show of presumptions. Uh, so I, I, whatever the point is, I heard a dial tone and it made me flinch. Um, because I don't have a landline anymore, which means I can't, I can't order food and have them bring it to me. Well, I mean, I can, I can order food because, again, as I've mentioned, uh, you can find me anywhere you want right there on my goddamn cell phone. I can pick it up and I can order food, um, but I can't, they can't bring it to my house because I have to buzz them in my security because I have a very high secure building. But fuck, you know what that means? Because I always say when you order food from your house, you're like a king. You're just literally, you're sitting there, you know, fucking, like I said, you're just fucking naked or whatever the fuck, and you make a phone call, and you're like, hey, bring me some goddamn crab legs, and somebody has to bring you crab legs. Literally, you're just like, bring me crab legs, and a dude shows up, because you're a fucking king, man. But the sad part about that is he can come here, but he can only get so far, like he can get to the moat, and I don't have any fucking guards or fucking, uh, you know, jesters to go get the food. So I'm the jester. I'm the guy. That's me. I got to be the king when I order and the jester when I pick up. And you know that dude is fucking scoffing at me because when I call, he's just like, ah, this fucking king, we better get him his crab legs quick. And then when he goes to the gate, and I'm like, oh, do me a favor. You got to text me when you're here so I can come out to the gate. And then I'm schlepping out to the fucking gate. I'm half a delivery guy. I should get half his tip. I'm doing half the fucking work. This dude showed up at the fucking gate. I got to go out there and meet him. And I got a fucking jester hat on because, look, I got a crown in the house, but a jester hat at the gate. There's no doubt. I can't wear the crown out there because then everybody just fucking jeers me. Because the king never went out of his fucking house or castle or whatever the fuck. His loyal subjects are all lining up the road. Like, if you're a king, all right, and you're in your castle, and you're like, hey, man, somebody get me some goat. I'm starving. And then, uh, because there's a whole bunch of people scurrying around to get you a fucking plate of goat. But if you had to go, ha-ha, I must have goat. Find and prepare the goat. And then they did, and they left it at the front door, and you had to go fucking pick it up. You're like a king schlepping through the castle. There's, like, uh, the fucking guards, and there's all these other fucking people, like the chefs. And then there's all the the... Uh, I don't know, like your the concubines, right? Kings had concubines, right? Or is that sultans? I don't know. Sultans and kings are the same thing, just different headgear. Uh, sultans, you know, sultans because, they, yeah, I don't blame them either. Sultans had that fucking the crazy wraparound thing on their head, whereas a king's wearing a fucking jeweled crown. That's got to be heavy and hurt. Uh, but, well, I'll also, let me put it this. If you're the king, you got to don a jester hat if you got to go pick up your own food. Like I said, just right here. I'm a king in my house. I'm a jester at the gate. Hi. Look at all the fun we've had with a dial tone. Um... So I'm here to tell you this, folks. We are going to uh, we're going to do some spoilers today. I'm warning you early. I'm warning you very early here in the show. Not early enough, apparently six minutes in. But um, although I, I guess I just spoiled kings and jesters for you. Damn it! I'm so sorry. I, spo- I spoiled kings and sultans for you. Um, I all I want to talk about 
is uh, is the Quentin Tarantino movie. That's it's just in my brain, and so I want to talk about the movie itself. Now I will tell you this. I, so I'm going to spoil. I'm going to give away plot points. I'm going to talk about my experience seeing it in the theater. I'm going to talk about what I saw and how I felt and what I enjoyed and what I did not. Uh, I will also tell you this. You can get this exact same thing from me on Comedy Film Nerds this week. I sat in with the Comedy Film Nerds crew. That's our buddies Graham and Chris. And I did the regular episode of Comedy Film Nerds. And then I wound up doing a spoiler episode of the Tarantino show. So I I, I already spoiled it over there. But I'm going to spoil it here as well um, because it's in my brain. And I, I, I really want to talk about it. Um, and also, I'll tell you this. Tonight, I'm recording an episode of Rock Solid in which we're going through the soundtrack song by song, I think, and we're also spoiling the movie. So I'll be... Hold on. Helicopter. Did you hear that fucking thing? Uh, There's... So I'm I'm all over the fucking place talking Tarantino. I, I are you talking Tarantino to me? Yes, I am. You two, you talking you you talking you Tarantino to me? I am this week. I'm talking about it on other shows, comedy film nerds. I'm talking about it on Rock Solid. But I'm I'm telling you right now, I'm going to spoil the fuck out of the movie here. Uh, and and I don't look. I'm not. I'm not going to fucking Roger Ebert the shit out of this. I don't have a sweater. I don't have any glasses. I'm not Gene Siskel. I'm not fucking bald yet. But I uh, I want to talk about it because I saw it and it's um I had opinions when I first walked out of the movie and then I just and then I saw it a second time and that's when I saw comedy film nerds to talk about it and then uh, I saw it a third time I went and saw it on my birthday the night of my birthday which was Monday and and let's talk about that really quick I all right I'm, I'm going to talk about this before I get into that as I said I'm spoiling Tarantino but let's talk about this first. Um, I, I'm again, I'm 52 years old, so there's no point to go. Yeah, it's my birthday. Da, 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 da. Why would there be a circus song? Why not the birthday song? Um, so it seems stupid to be, unless you're like, if you're a lady own your birthday, have a birthday week, fucking, you know, do whatever the fuck you got to do. People should fucking fawn all over you for birthday week. Whatever you want to do. If you're a lady, that's fine. If you're a man and you're grown up, um, the birthdays are like, they're, they're very cool, you know, because people notice them and they mention them to you, but you don't expect things, you know, and you don't walk around going, Hey, it's my birthday. Duh. I don't know why Patrick from SpongeBob is here. Uh, Hey SpongeBob, it's my birthday. Um, is that a Foggerbach? I, I, I think I just busted out a Foggerbach for you. Um, so I, I so it's my birthday and I, I try not to make a big deal out of it, but social media, of course, alerts everybody to your birthday and you have to share your fucking birth date with, with Facebook and stuff. So people are, they know about it. And then people are very kind to you on Facebook. They write you a lunch, bunch of greetings, a lunch of greetings. I, you know what? I would, I would prefer a lunch of greetings. Do me a favor next year. Somebody give me a lunch of greetings. Um, on Twitter, I guess there were balloons that popped up on my account when people saw it uh, because I heard that from people. Uh, regardless, the, the, it's it's a nice thing and birthdays are birthdays. We all have that and that's fun. Um, but once you get to be older, certainly you can't be like, I. It's, it's, it would be as if, you know, my birthday's in July. It would be as if in December I was like, I'm 51 and a half years old, only six more months uh, or seven more months. Um, that would be silly and, and odd. That's what youngsters do. And I don't, I don't, look. Celebrate your birthday any fucking way you want. I'm not here to tell anybody how to fucking enjoy their life. I don't give a fuck who you are. You could be some, if you're a gay dude or a lady or a fucking macho man, go ahead and, I don't know why they have to be caricatures. It's it's only those. Gay dude, lady, macho man, all of you, Randy Savage, only Randy Savage can make a big deal of his birthday. Oh, yeah. It's my birthday. Yeah. Elizabeth is here. Yeah. I got a crown on. I ordered food. I'm a king. Yeah. 
Macho Man wants crab legs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you ever see Jake the Snake Roberts do Macho Man Savage? Holy fuck, he nails it. He sounds exactly like him. Ooh, Jake, yeah. Got the snake, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Mean Gene, yeah. Cream of the crop. Uh, <laughs> you got a Foggerbach and a Savage this show. I don't give a fuck how late it is. Um... <laughs> Let's do Foggerbach talking to Savage. Oh, hey, Randy Savage. Oh, yeah, Dan Foggerbach, yeah. Patrick, Squidward and SpongeBob, yeah. Under the sea, oh, yeah, and a pineapple, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that's where we live. Uh, <laughs> this show is over. Good night. Take care of yourselves. That's how I close all my stage shows from now on. Oh, yeah. Uh, cream of the crop. So, hey. Um, so, so celebrate your birthday any way you want, I guess is the point. I don't give a fuck who you are. Whether you have shiny robes and a wife that you mistreat, or you have, uh, uh, you're, uh, you're, uh, you're sashaying around in drag. I don't give a fuck. Be a birthday guy or a lady. What I'm saying for me, uh, I think when you get to be, like I said, I'm in my fifties. Nobody, nobody wants me to be like, I want a cake. I'm 52. I mean, nobody fucking cares. You know, it's just now it's just another fucking tour around the goddamn sun with Lithgow and the rest of the fucking crew. Let's do it. Um, so I, I, uh, so my birthday was here and it was Monday and I, and, and that's cool. And people are super nice and they sent me greetings. Well, I do that Twitch thing, as you know, twitch.tv slash the 40 year old boy. And there's a nice little community, burgeoning community in, on the Twitch uh, channel. They go ahead and they show up in the stream. They show up all the time. People have been very nice and very supportive. And they, they, they come out and, uh, you know, they watch me play video games. They watch me talk. Because I will tell you this. When I do twitch.tv slash the 40-year-old boy, I'm playing games. But usually the first hour of the stream is me talking. Uh, it's, it's almost, it's essentially another podcast every fucking day. And I interact with the chat stream. People ask me questions, I answer them, I talk, I tell stories about whatever I did that day in the gym. It's this, uh, it's literally MNN, it's Mike News Network, and I just fucking show up. Or should it be SNN, Schmitty News Network? I should. I think we'll go that route. Schmitty News Network, SNN. Sn, come come visit Sn, it's better than Mn. I think Sn is better. So uh, so people were very, they're always very kind to me, and they show up, and, the, and there's regulars who are there virtually every day. Uh, you know, our buddy Murph, and, uh, and, and, and look, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to run down every single name because that just seems like a, a foolish uh, endeavor uh, because there's, there's like probably 30 people that show up all the time um, and they're all very nice and they're all very kind and everybody is terrific. Um, but it's our friends, you know, like Joey and Travis and Kiki and Rob and Scott and, uh, you know, they, these these are people who are there every day and Anne and, and uh, our friend Bridget, our new friend Bridget. Um, did I mention Kiki? Kiki's there. Christy shows up. Um, Cornelius shows up. There's a, off the top of my head. These are the these are the people who come in and they and they're oh uh, secret agent Ken and Tresha of course are always there. I, I again I don't want to turn it into a fucking romper room roll call, but people people are very nice and they come and they support and they help me. And not only do they hang out, but they inter, they interact with me and then they're talking among one, amongst one another. And then they uh, uh, they go ahead and participate by helping me with the game. If they know the game, they'll be like, hey man, go in that door. Hey man, eat that biscuit. Uh, you you have no idea how desperately I want a game where I eat biscuits. Oh my God. How great would that be? See, that's the game. I stream all the goddamn time. Just me and fucking biscuits. Uh, that's why in Red Dead, I would often go, there's this game called Red Dead Redemption and, uh, you could go eat food. Like you could go to the bar and order a fucking steak. I would just order a steak and then go get a bath. God damn. I love that part of Red Dead. I miss it. 
I miss it so much. I do it every day. My own self. I, I go order a steak and I take a bath every single day. This is why I'm broke. Um, cause I'm actually paying for the baths, which seems strange, right? I got my own bathtub, uh, sitting in your own filth, gross. Um, so my birthday came on Monday. Now look, I usually stream Tuesday through Sunday. I stream every single day except Monday uh, because ostensibly Monday is podcast record day. Hi, it's not, uh, it hasn't been for a while because I wind up recording this on Thursday mornings now. Um, and that's because I, you know, it's, I find I need this week I, in my brain. I'm like, I need a week to recharge kind of in between podcasts, but then I'm doing this Twitch stream thing and I'm talking every single day. So it's not, I don't really get the week to recharge, especially because I'm recording on Thursday afternoons or Thursday mornings now. And then the following Wednesday, I'm like, fuck, I just, I, for some reason I feel a little gassed here. Uh, and then we do it Thursday and you've, you've all been very kind and thank you. Um, but then I, uh. I I do the Twitch thing and I take Mondays to where I'm going to record a podcast. But honestly, Monday's a day I don't talk. Like usually I, I now, I, I, like I said, it was supposed to be podcast record day and that's a different thing and a different animal. And then that turned into not being podcast record day because the artwork is coming later on YouTube. And hi, everybody, brace yourselves for this nonsense. Now, Monday is a day when I don't fucking talk. I mean, I, I talk to people. I talk to Shannon every two weeks and talk to John in the gym. Um, but usually I, I, I'm not, you know, it's it's... And, and look, I don't want to pretend like, you know, oh my God, I'm so gassed from talking, but you know, I'm, I'm talking at least, you know, the Twitch stuff lasts, there's an hour of just talking. And then there's usually two, three, four hours of gaming where I'm talking the whole fucking time. Uh, and then recording this podcast, you know, you wind up recording here for an hour and a half, two hours, whatever the fuck. Um, it's, it's not, I'm not, I'm not digging ditches. I get that. All right. I know, I know I'm not uh, building cars like my buddy Dave, but, but at the same time, uh, you know, to be on and uh, creative and be somebody that people want to listen to for that length of time every single week. And, and and you don't need to hear me fucking busting it down for you. Anyway, the bottom line is Mondays I don't talk. Fuck. So uh, so my birthday was coming up and it was on Monday of this past week or this week, the week we're on right now. So it was uh, the 29th. And the people in the stream, as I was, I was signing off on like, I think Saturday it was or maybe Sunday, I was on Twitch and I was playing a game. And uh, Murph... Uh, our buddy Murph, who's always in the stream as well, is like, hey, can I ask you a question? Uh, can I ask you a favor? He might have even texted me, I think. And he's like, hey, I got a favor to ask. And I'm like, what? And he's like, um, can you do a stream on your birthday? Uh, the way it's going to work is everybody's going to tune in. We're all going to have cake and we're all going to watch you and you'll talk. And, uh, you know, you can have cake if you want. We'll do it like a, it, it'll be like a, everybody was going to be very nice and tell me happy birthday. And they wanted me to do a birthday stream. And I'm like, all right, yeah, I could do that. That's fine. You know, it's, it's. Um, because that's a different story than playing a game and committing four hours. Like I, I figured I'd go on and chat for half an hour for my birthday and then to be fine. Um, so I said, sure, of course. So I went Monday and, uh, oh, and I, so I, let's talk about this. Let's talk about gifts really quickly. Uh, things that have been sent to me, things that are very nice. Um, our good friend, South Philly, Paul sent me a, uh, a lighting rig that I can possibly use for the video games because I'm always washed out from the lights when I do my video games. I, I just, um, I'm using just the fucking ceiling light and, and I look, you know, you can see me certainly. And I mean, you can see my, but, but I mean, it's really harsh, intense light. So he sent me a, uh, like a light that I can actually hook up to my computer monitor or to my desk. And it's on, on a bendy coil. You know what I'm talking about? And I can position that in a way where you can see me and it won't be so harsh. At least he hopes so. He thinks so. I mean, I don't know. I have to set it up, but it was nice of him to send that to me. So that was really cool. Uh, and Murph sent me uh, just a, a silly gift. He sent me like three bottle openers from uh, a festival, an Irish festival that he produces, which was very nice. Um, our good friend, the princess, the, the lovely Anne Zill, sent me uh, a gift certificate for the Arclight Theater. 
here in Los Angeles, which is crazy because she's in Ohio, but she had to make the effort to go online, find the Arclight and get me a gift certificate, which was unbelievably nice of her. And thank you so much for that. Uh, And let's talk about this. Our good friend, Hugh, Hugh Wilton in England. Uh, He, he'd been, he was after me for a while and he's like, Hey dude, I want to send you a, uh, a birthday thing. And I'm like, cool. And he's like, I need the PO box. And I said, great. And I gave him the PO box number. And uh, this is three months ago. And he's like, yeah, I got to get there for your birthday because he's in England. And I'm like, dude, fucking if it gets here, it gets here. Don't worry about it. Because he had sent me stuff for Christmas last year, too. And he was worried about it getting here on time. But he sends me the because uh, it came back to him. I think if I remember right, Hugh sent something and then it actually came back to him. And then he sent it late, whatever the fuck. But he sent me a thing. He's like, all right, I'm sending you a thing for your birthday. So I get this box from my P.O. box. And uh, it arrived a week early for my birthday, and I opened, it, I opened it earlier. I should have held it for my birthday, but I didn't want to be a dick. And Hugh, I never know when he can be in the chat room. I wanted to do it when he saw me on Twitch. So I opened it up, and uh, here's what Hugh sent me, dudes. He sent me a care package from England of all Vimto-related items. You may remember when I went to Kuwait, I discovered Vimto, which is uh, basically God's tears. It is it is this delicious beverage. Um, it tastes like grape and black currant and uh, and blueberries almost. I mean, it, it is just I forget. There's there's three uh, raspberries, raspberry, black currant, and something else. It's just it's just great. It's like a soda in Kuwait or a juice. And so I thought that's what it was. I thought it was a soda or a juice. Well, I didn't fucking know that Vimto was a cottage industry. So fucking Hugh sends me a box. Here's my favorite thing. I, I have no idea what's in it. So I open I open the box, but I don't I don't look in it. I keep reaching in and pulling out one item at a time on screen because that was the whole thing. That's look, that's much more impressive, right? You don't want to just open it up and go, wow, here's all this stuff. No, you drag it out. You're a performer. You go, here's this thing and then this thing. Because the box was full. I could feel it. It was very heavy. So I kept picking it up and shaking it. I'm going, look at this shit. I'm waiting, I'm shaving it and shaking it in the camera. I'm going, check this out. Fucking look at it. There's still stuff in the box. And uh this was a Vimto-related care package. I didn't realize, again, Vimto makes candy. And the first thing I pulled out of the box was a box of freeze pops. Easy, breezy, freezy pops. Easy peasy. Easy peasy, freezy pops. Vimto flavor. And you know those, you know, like fucking, uh, they're, they're ice pops that you put in the freezer. They're the, that like fucking long plastic cylinder filled with Kool-Aid juice or whatever the fuck. And then you freeze them up. It was just, it was Vimto flavored popsicles. So I threw, I, I opened that up and I was like, oh, dude, that's fucking amazing. Easy peasy squeezy, easy peasy squeezies, I think they're called freezy. Easy peasy freezy squeezies. I might be making some of that up. Um, but those are Vimto flavored. And then there were Vimto jelly beans and Vimto uh, soft chews and Vimto, uh, these, you know, like fucking fruit roll up things with sugar on them and fucking sour Vimto and fucking uh, Vimto bonbons and Vimto pencil, whatever the fuck. And I keep shaking the box. I'm pulling these out one at a time. Boom, fruit chews. Boom. I'm shaking the box, shaking the box. And then I reach in and all of a sudden it dawns on me. I'm not kidding. Two thirds of the way through the box. And my brain, I go, wait a minute. He sent all this Vimto candy and I'm shaking this fucking box. No. And I reach in and sure enough, I pull out Vimto soda. Uh, a small, a small bottle of Vimto soda. And here's the difference. One's called, and there was, and there was a juice box in there. So he sent one of each. The soda is called Vimto fizzy. And the juice box is called Vimto still. Shh, still. Uh, <laughs> and so I shook the soda up the whole fucking time. So I had to do emergency uh, surgery on it where I like opened up the top, the cap very little, just go and, and let, it, let it breathe a little bit. And it worked. It, it was good because usually you flatten the soda that way, but it didn't. I didn't flat. I have no fucking idea how I didn't flatten the soda. 
Um, but I put the Vimto in the uh, in the fridge. And so I, you know, I still have the candy, obviously, and stuff. But I drank the Vimtos on the birthday stream because I had opened it a week early. But I wanted to make sure I had some Vimto participation in the birthday stream. So Hugh sent me Vimto and sent me a gift certificate. Like I said, uh, Murph sent me a nice note with some bottle openers, and our good friend South Philly Paul sent me a lighting rig. And then during the stream, I, I go onto the birthday stream and I open you know those gifts or whatever, and I'm like, hey everybody, and everybody's very nice. They're telling me happy birthday, and then Murph sends me a link. He's like, hey, uh, check this link out. I don't know how if you can open YouTube links in the stream. And uh, look, I'm not going to lie to you. Here's who I am as a guy. I'm annoyed. I'm like, uh, dude, I'm trying to talk here. I'm trying to do a show and you're telling me to open a link. And also, I will tell you this. I, Murph, is, Murph, <laughs> Murph fucked me once. He didn't mean to, but he did. Because I was on the stream and I was trying to figure out how to. Because I don't look, man. I'm not computer fucking Jones. I, I just, I was going to say computer guy. And then I was going to say computer Garson. I don't know why Garson showed up. Um... So, so he, one time he sent me a, you know, I was, I was talking to people. I'm like, how do I do this? Cause we're trying to bring things up in the, in the chat room. And he told me, he's like, press alt F4. So I was like, okay, I think it was F4. And I, so I went, I pressed alt F4 and everything disappeared. Uh, the screens disappeared. Like I, I didn't know what the fuck happened. And I'm looking, I'm like, and I'm still on camera. Here's the thing. I'm still on camera. People can still see me streaming. And I'm like, Whoa, what the fuck? And everything disappeared. And uh, I'm trying to make the screens come back or something. And then once once I find because I, I guess Alt F4 closes out all or Alt F6. I don't even know. Whatever the fuck. It closes out whatever. It closes all your workout. It, it basically shuts your computer down or shuts down the screens. I don't I don't I, to this day. I don't know. All I know is everything disappeared. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck? And then I'm trying to pull it back up. And I get the chat room up and I'm, I'm kind of trying to figure that out because it looked like the stream died and I was going to have to redo the whole thing. And I, when I open up the chat room, I just I can just see Murph going, no, don't do it. Oh, my God, because I'm always behind in the chat room. So I'm reading it. And when I see something, I just act on it. And there's still like 20 fucking, you know, chats that I haven't gotten to people writing stuff that I, I'm just I'm always lagging behind because I try to deal with everybody and talk to them, you know, when they're asking questions, whatever. And I see him going, no, don't. Oh, my God, Mike, no. And and he freaked out because he doesn't know that I don't know anything at all about fucking computers. I, I can barely turn the fucking thing on. So when I get out, when he's like, cause he's the computer guy, Murph, literally he could, he's MacGyver. He can turn a fucking Q-tip into a fucking AR-15. He's just that dude. So I trusted him. I'm like, all right, man, plus alt F6, whatever, boom. And then everything disappears. And he's, and then I finally get it all up and working it. And he's like, I'm an idiot. I did not mean to do that. I'm like, you're not an idiot. That's fine. You played a little prank on me. I'm not a prank guy, but, and he's just like, no, dude, I'm really sorry. And he felt bad about it. I'm like, please don't feel bad. We're fine. It's oh, we fixed it. At least it didn't cause any like long-term damage, but he, I guess every, so there were other people in the chat room who knew what that meant. I guess it's a shorthand it thing as a, you know, Hey man, I can't fix this. We'll just press all. It's a trick. I'll press alt F six. And then a year, a year, whole fucking computer shuts down. Everybody's like, ha ha. Um, it's like when I went to, when I worked on uh, Starface, and, uh, <laughs> we substituted, what was the word? Um, I, I, cause there's a word we always had to type in our scripts. You know, if you, if you just, I think about it in an and, I mean, literally some, I, I took some small word and I replaced it with fuck. You can do that in, in word, in, in office word. So whenever someone typed and it autocorrected to fuck and they, you know, you're not looking, you're typing it and you look up and you're just like, why does it say fuck, 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 fuck in my, in my whole fucking paragraph. It was gorgeous. It was one of the, that's one of the best things I ever did. I was so happy about it. Um, 
So, so I've done, I'm not, so I'm, I, as much as I say, I don't like pranks. I don't like all that bullshit and in, in, in practical jokers. Uh, I have done things like that in the past where I've lured somebody into doing something silly. So Murph, uh, when he tells me, he's like, uh, here, click on this YouTube link. I'm like, man, fuck you, dude. Like in my brain, I'm like, I, you're, so you asked me to do a birthday stream just so you can get me to click on some fucking YouTube link and have the whole fucking thing shut down. You're going to make fun of me again. I mean, what are you doing? But I, I know him. And I know how mortified he was by the last time he fucked me over. And he didn't mean to fuck me over, but he did. He lured me into a trap. Uh, and so I knew he wasn't going to, there was nothing harmful in it. So I'm like, oh, okay, click on this. He's like, I just want to see, I don't know how YouTube links work on, on in the stream. So see if you can open this. So I clicked on it and it was, uh, it was a Tarantino Reservoir Dogs parody. Uh, there's some show, I guess, in England and they did a, a, a parody of the, opening credits of Reservoir Dogs where all the guys are in the black and white suits and they're walking down the alley together after breakfast and uh, it plays a little green bag. So I looked at it. I'm like, all right. Uh, I go, yeah, it's a, it's a Tarantino thing. And I watched it and, and then I'm going, there's nothing. I, like I, I was waiting for something to happen, but it was nothing. It was just a Tarantino. So I guess he wanted to show it to me, but I, will, I won't lie. In my brain, I'm annoyed because I'm like, dude, I'm, do, I'm live on camera. I'm doing a live stream and you're sending me Something you could have sent me via, via my Facebook or or you could have even texted the fucking thing to me and I would have watched it then. If you thought this was cool, that's fine to share it, but you're, I'm literally live on camera right now. Now, granted, there might only be like 50 people in here, but they're still watching me watch a clip that you sent. This would be better handled between me and you. Uh, but I was like, all right. So I checked it out. I was like, cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> and then I go back into the stream and I'm talking and... Um, and then Murph is like, "Hey man, I've got another. Uh, I got another clip for you. You got to open this up." And I'm and uh, you know I I'm not going to lie to you again. I I turned 52, so I get to be a cranky old man at times in my brain. And in my head, I'm just going, "Why is he sending me fucking links? I don't understand why links are coming to me when I'm." He clearly sees that I'm engaging people in the chat room. We know this, Murph. This is better done between me and you. You have you literally have my phone number. Send me these links to my phone, and I'll watch them then. But he goes, seriously, no, this one you have to, this one, I didn't say all that, by the way, that's just in my fucking brain. I, cause I'm on camera and I'm like, Hey, we're all having a good time. But in my brain, I'm like, why the fuck am I getting bombarded with links? And Murphy's like, no, you got to open this, you know, j- this one, trust me and do me a favor, make it full screen. So I'm like, all right. So I, I clicked on this link and uh, it goes right to a YouTube thing. And, and I see it says Schmitty birthday, 2019. And I'm like, oh, I don't even, all right, what? And it starts to play. It's a video. And it's got like that countdown color bars, 10, 9, boop, boop, boop. And I'm going, what? And, and then I literally, I think I said on the chat stream, what if this just counts down numbers the entire time? Because I look and it's like three and a half minutes long or something like that. And I'm like, if this counts, what if this just counted down numbers the entire time? That actually would be funny if it counted down numbers the entire time. But it counts down numbers and then it, it, it starts. And I believe the first people we see are Secret Asian Ken and Tresha, who are friends of mine uh, in Canada. Uh, friends of this show, certainly, and they always come to the stream and they, they say happy birthday, Mike. And then our, our, uh, <laughs> I can't explain it without, I mean, it's, it's available on the Westside 86 Jokers page. All right. If you go check it out, you can see it now, but it turns out that everybody who comes to the, well, most, uh, most people who come to the stream, a lot of people, uh, not most people, all it, whatever. Some of the cool ass people who come to the fucking stream every day made me a birthday video. Uh, Travis and his dog, Leon, Secret Asian Ken and Tresha, our buddy Joey Hartbear, uh, who is now known as Blue Screen Bake Monster, uh, Murph, and the princess, 
uh, Liana, our, our, our great friend, super fan, amazing, lovely, terrific Liana, who's down in Texas right now. One of my favorite people and who's been around from the jump for fuck's sake. She's fantastic. Uh, Murph's been around from the jump. He knew me before this. He knew me from Never Not Funny. All of these people are, are, are Bridget, our new friend Bridget from New York or New Jersey, I should say. She She's in the video and they did they did the Beatles birthday song. Uh, you say it's your birthday. It's my birthday too. Yeah. And, uh, and they all sang it and they filmed those. Oh, Christy, our friend Christy up in fucking Wyoming slash Utah. And they're, they're, they're in the video and Ruben, our buddy Ruben in DC, all these people are in there dancing and singing happy birthday and doing the Beatles song to me. Travis plays guitar. The dog yowls. I think at a couple of points, he just fucking stares at me. Um, and and it's just it's it's insane the amount of effort that went into doing this because everybody had to film themselves and then everybody had to send the film to Murph and then Murph cut it all together in this video he edited it together and they put it up and uh i i just i watched it and i'm like god damn it i mean art can are can it get any cooler can people be any nicer or cooler at this fucking point uh, you guys have always been great. You, you, you've supported the show, supported me for years and years, and and that's insane. You've supported this new venture on Twitch, uh, and if you guys aren't yet, twitch.tv slash the forty year old boy. It's a fun little community, man. There's a Discord. Our buddy Rob, Radio Rob, is there. Um, he's in the video. Uh, it, it's just, it's craziness. I I I I can't tell you how lucky I am to have people willing to do. Something like that. And look, some of the, look, these people clearly, uh, they're not professional performers. They're friends who decided to make a fun, silly video for my birthday and they're dancing and they're singing and they're, they're putting themselves out there. Cause I tell you what, I can't sing. All right. And I told you, I did that karaoke thing once in San Francisco where I was in a booth and I'm like, under the boardwalk so bad. And I, I mean, you know instantly that you can't sing and people can hear you in the fucking store. They're looking at you like, ooh, and you because you because you're trying to sing like you really can sing. But the cool thing was in this video, like uh, uh, people are singing and and having fun with it and and killing it. Uh, you know, Anne sings and it's funny. Anne's putting on lipstick and she's a dancer. Around, she's in her dress. Murph's driving. Travis is in his house with his guitar. Like I said, Rob's at his work. Uh, Bridget's dancing in her apartment in New Jersey. Leon and uh, Liana's in her apartment. I mean, it's just it's just. It's insanely fun and incredibly thoughtful, and I was so happy that people did that for me. I, I can't explain to you how it feels to have people support you in such a way where they're willing to um, give of themselves in that fashion. So thank you to everybody who made the birthday video. If you want to see it, it's up on the Westside 86 Jokers page. And it, uh, it just, it just it's, and it surprised the hell out of me. I didn't expect it. So like I said, it was that thing. Where I'm, I they asked me to do a birthday stream, and I'm like, yeah, I can do that. You know, I mean, because I, people have been very nice to when I'm not, you know, when it's not my birthday, when it's just me doing playing video games, they're all very nice and they're nice enough to come in there and hang out. So if they ask me to do something, of course I can do that. What the fuck, I can make that work. And uh, and so then I watched the video, and I'm like, you, I just, I, I just, you, you, there's a dumb grin pasted on my face the entire fucking stream because I'm just like, hey, those people fucking. How cool is that? I love these guys. I mean, I love you guys. And I love everybody listening to this fucking podcast. And I, and I love everybody who's not mad at me that it comes out on Thursday afternoon. Um, but thank you to everybody who made the birthday video. Thank you to anybody who sent me gifts. Thank you to anybody who celebrated my birthday. And uh, and it made me it made me very happy. So thank you. Um, so there you go, man. That was my birthday on Monday. It was totally fun. And then I finished my birthday stream. 
And I did, you know, everybody's like, what did you do on your birthday? Did you have fun? Did you do a good thing? And um, again, I'm 52 and I don't have a, I don't have a significant other. I don't have anybody I'm dating or seeing or I'm married or anything like that. So it's me, man. Um, so I, I, and I, I just said, I'm getting out of my fucking house. I'm not going to sit in my fucking apartment all night. And the thing I want to do more than anything these days is I, I want to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I had already seen it twice at that point. Uh, oh, I should tell you, you know, on my birthday, I, that's when I taped Comedy Film Nerd. So I did that during the day and then came home and did my birthday stream. And then when the birthday stream ended, I hustled out the door and I went to watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the third time. Uh, so let's talk about it. Time for spoilers. I'm warning you now. We're about to get into the spoilers of the Tarantino movie. Uh, if you want to bail, you can. Uh, and thank you to everybody who was here for, uh, oh, actually, you know what? I don't, I can't, let's do this. Uh, I'm going to do plugs before this. All right. I know because I have to plug this very, this is very important. My friend, Rob Batsushita, who is a, uh, a, a fan of the show, a friend of mine, a friend of the show. He has done this before. He is, he made, uh, unbelievable pieces of art for me. He made trailers for the show. I think he made two separate ones where it was my voice talking, and as I was speaking, it's these talk-to-text videos, like where I'm talking, and then my words appear on the screen. So you don't see me, you just see a screen with words, and the, and the stuff I'm saying appears. They're phenomenal. I wish I, I got to dig them up. I forget where I put them. Um, I should put them on my YouTube page, as a matter of fact, if I haven't. But Jesus Christ, they're just they're just fantastic videos, and and they were trailers for the show, and I didn't do nearly enough for with them. I should do them. And I actually, hey, Rob, do more. Hey, Rob, do one of them now as a payment for this. <laughs> Look at me. I'm quid pro quo in the fuck out of Rob Matsushita. Um, Rob is a writer. Rob had a web series called Chapel, and he wound up uh, asking me to do a voice in that. And I, I honestly, I did the voice poorly, but he still used it. I was very grateful because I just did not do a good job. In my opinion, he was very nice and he was very happy with what I did. But I think I would have liked another couple of passes at it to do a better job. But he put it in Chapel, and Chapel was a great web series. You can go ahead and find that. But our friend Rob is right now, uh, he has a play in the Minnesota Fringe Festival. So I'm going to throw this out there. He is sponsoring the show this week and telling me, hey, look, dude, uh, can you tell people about this play? Uh, and I said, sure, of course, you're sponsoring the show. Why not? So Rob Matsushita has a play called Escape This. It's a comedy written. You know, I'm just going to read the fucking copy. Why not? Four friends go to the world's most obnoxious escape room and discover that to beat the game... They have to answer terrible personal questions about themselves. That's Escape This, a comedy written by Rob Matsushita, directed by Joe Hendren, playing as part of the Minnesota Fringe Festival, performing at the Ritz Theater, 345 13th Avenue Northeast in Minneapolis. And uh, it's got several showings coming up this weekend. Friday, August 2nd at 7 o'clock p.m. Saturday, August 3rd at 8.30 p.m. Sunday, we've got a matinee. Sunday, August 4th at 1 o'clock p.m. Wednesday, August 7th at 10 o'clock p.m. They're going to get late night with it, baby. And then Sunday, August 11th at 5.30 p.m. So you're looking at five possibilities, five chances for you to see this play during the Minnesota Fringe Festival. Again, I tell you, it is called Escape This a comedy written by Rob Matsushita, directed by Joe Hendren, playing as part of the Minnesota Fringe Festival at the Ritz Theater, 345 13th Avenue, NE, Northeast, in Minneapolis. Friday, August 2nd at 7 o'clock. Saturday, August 3rd at 8.30 p.m. Sunday, August 4th at 1 o'clock p.m. Wednesday, August 7th at 10 o'clock p.m. Sunday, August 11th at 5.30 p.m. Tickets are available at minnesotafringe.org. Minnesotafringe.org is where you can get tickets for our friend Rob Matsushita's play, Escape This at the Ritz Theater, five showings, five big showings starting Friday, August 2nd, closing Sunday, August 11th, minnesotafringe.org. Get your tickets now. 
and then write me a note and tell me how much I, uh, you loved it and tell me how uh, embarrassed and sad I am that I didn't get to see it. Because why am I not in Minnesota? I could have gone ahead and seen that. So uh, so there you go. I wanted to make sure I got that out before I spoiled anything and you guys bailed on me. So don't, don't, don't leave yet. Or no, you can leave now. Or should I do the plugs now? Uh, and then get into the spoiling. Let's do the plugs now. Why the fuck not? Uh, <laughs> because I'll tell you, well, because there's a reason I'm doing, I'll do the plugs now. Here's why. Uh, well, not here's why, but here's the plugs. Hey man, uh, I'm on cameo and our good friend Elise has booked me for a cameo, um, which she should be getting tonight, uh, soon. Um, so uh, anyway, the bottom line is I'm on cameo. That's not the bottom line, but the, the I'm on cameo book. Cameo is an app you can put on your phone and get me to talk to you about things and say cool things about you and your friends or bad things about you and your friends, which is not nice. Let me say cool things. Uh, I'll even plug your fringe festival show. If you want to go ahead and book me on cameo, but then, then unfortunately that's only to you. <laughs> I will I'll literally do You'll book me for a video to plug your fringe festival to you. That doesn't seem like the best use of your money or time, but why not? Uh, download the cameo app to your phone right now. Book me to, to do whatever the fuck you want me to do. And I'm happy to do it. Let's go. It's right there. Bookcameo.com, I believe is the app. So go ahead and check it out. Uh, they're actually, you know what? Fuck. They're getting huge because now they're putting billboards all over fucking, uh, LA, which is strange, uh, to see those and realize that I'm part of that, even though I don't get booked very often, but at least like I said, it was very nice to reach out. But I'll also tell you this. Remember I told you last week, the fucking bagel boss is on there now. And I was kind of like, fuck. Do you know who charisma carpenter is? Uh, Charisma Carpenter is an actress. I believe she was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer and possibly even an angel. Uh, But here's how I know Charisma Carpenter because she's a lovely and talented woman and I don't want to reduce her to this. But Charisma Carpenter has for me one of the most memorable Playboy spreads in the history of the magazine uh, because she is she's like astonishingly beautiful. And then uh, she has uh, she's uh, I I don't want to be reductive, but she's uh, in incredible shape. Um, And and also, uh, <laughs> she has, uh, uh, all right, see, I feel bad because I follow her on, on Instagram, so I feel like I have this weird, tenuous connection to, so to say this might sound terrible. She's lovely. She's, in, she's involved in politics. She has children. She's a terrific actress. She does amazing things, uh, but she is fucking ridiculously sexy as hell and has perfect breasts. All right. I, I, I'm just going to say that. And not only perfect breasts, but uh, like the greatest nipples in history. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be that guy. I don't want to be this person. If she tunes in because she has a podcast now, who knows if she stumbles upon my podcast going, hmm, I wonder what this is. And then she hears me talking about her perfect nipples. That's going to be bad. And I don't want that to be the case. Um, but Charisma Carpenter is also on Cameo or she was because she took a stand last week and she actually put out a statement and told them, hey, look, uh, I've had fans who've booked me for a lot of cameos and I'm glad to do it and I was happy to participate, but because they have now allowed this misogynistic, uh, what I, she, she called him, whatever, this, miso- mis- this angry, loud, misogynistic character who, who embarrassed himself and hurt people, uh, I'm leaving the platform. If this is who you need to, to employ to make money, I don't want to be associated with your platform. And she bailed. She took herself off cameo. And good for her. I mean, that's fine. If you can do that, I, I myself, you know, I still lurk because look, I'm, this is all I am. I'm fucking side hustle Rick. That's all I'm fucking doing is I'm trying to make as much money as I fucking can to pay my rent. I mean, I'm going out of town this to Toronto and I'm worried I have an apartment when I get back. Um, so, oh, and I should, oh, I should also say this. 
uh, in the stream, in the birthday stream, uh, people also gave bits and cheers and, and money. Our buddy Cornelius gave money, which was super nice. And our buddy Jeremy, who's been incredibly generous to me, uh, went uh, over and above and, and really was very generous to me on my birthday. Thank you so much, Jeremy. And also our friend Manny Moe, who's down in Orange County. He also is just unbelievably cool and generous and, and helped me out on my birthday. So thank you guys. I appreciate that. That was super cool. But letting you know that uh, the... Um, that, so telling you Charisma Carpenter bailed. She's gone on, on Cameo after I talked about it last week. Because, I mean, I again, I wasn't the only one outraged and like going, what the fuck, man? Really? This is the guy you fucking hire? And sure enough, she saw it and was like, ah, I've had enough. I'm out. Uh, hey, you want to drive for Uber and Lyft? Of course you do. Why wouldn't you want to? I drove for Uber and Lyft over the weekend, at least for Uber, not for Lyft, because they want me to inspect my car again, because apparently they don't. I, they need to know I have a tire. I mean, what the fuck? My car's got tires. Let people get in. I'll drive them home, you fuck. Uh... But Uber, Uber, you can use my code if you want to drive for Uber or ride with Uber. Uh, you can use my code DJZW1YTTUE. That's all lowercase, DJZW1YTTUE. Uh, that's all lowercase letters in the number one in the middle. DJZW1YTTUE. Use that as if you're a first-time rider. Use that if you want to drive. Uh, and for Lyft, my code is MIKE720057, and that is the uh, all caps, M-I-K-E-720057. Mike 720057, use that code if you want to drive for Lyft or ride with Lyft. That would be perfect. Uh, oh, also, our sponsor, fuck, Paranoid Strain sponsors this podcast, as always, along with our friend Rob Matsushita. Um, Paranoid Strain is sponsoring, and you can go right now to the iTunes store and download all of the uh, editions, all of the episodes of that podcast, because it's fucking brilliant. Our good friend Fearful Jesuit and his uh, unicorn Dana. Dana Unicorn. I don't want to say she's not a unicorn, but she's Dana Unicorn. Uh, go ahead and download all of the uh, editions of The Paranoid Strain. Uh, the most current episode, of course, is The Kennedy Assassination. He's got stuff about assassination and fucking QAnon and all these other idiots. And he debunks and he destroys. And it's fucking great to hear. He gets a scalpel out and he fucking takes everybody apart. So get The Paranoid Strain podcast right now in the iTunes store. You can write our friend Fearful Jesuit. Paranoid strain at gmail.com paranoid strain at gmail.com write him a note tell him you found the show through us and it makes me look good and it makes him think oh well I should continue sponsoring Mike's show that would be grand uh, and also like I said leave a note in the iTunes store when you review the show and say that you learned of it from us and talk about how great the show is please let him know that you loved it let him know that you learned about it from us and uh, I can keep this relationship going with fearful Jesuit I don't have him uh, turn a turn his back on me and hire the bagel boss to promote his fucking show I can't have that I don't want to lose another gig to the bagel boss uh, so please go ahead and patronize the Paranoid Strain or, pa- or, or uh, yeah, patronize, right? Of course. Paranoid Strain Podcast. Download it right now on the iTunes store and write our buddy Fearful Jesuit. Tell him you love the show and you heard about it through us. That would be great. Please remember there's a Patreon page uh, that exists. Patreon, it, it, it supports Twitch. It supports this show. It supports uh, live stuff that I want to do eventually if we can get over a certain number and that kind of thing. We got we got over that certain number and then like literally a week later we went back onto that number, which was a drag. Um so the the go to patreon.com and I'm the 40 year old boy or just look for Mike Schmidt Patreon and sign up, become a monthly donor. I appreciate it very much. Thank you so much to everybody. Uh, like I mentioned, our friend Ellen, who bumped her, her thing up last week uh, and our, our good friend, the princess Anne Zill also bumped hers up uh, a couple of weeks ago. So thank you. Anybody who bumped up and new people uh, go ahead and join the Patreon. And of course, I'll mention you here on the show and then I'll send you a thank you note and we'll all be happy. So Patreon exists. Uh, Paranoid Strain, our YouTube channel, which you can go visit, uh, youtube.com slash the 40-year-old boy. It's got all the uh, archives of the podcasts. It's going to have Twitch clips, things like that. Go subscribe, please, so YouTube thinks that I'm a guy. Uh, of course, we have the Amazon link. Go to MikeSchmidtComedy.com. Go to the merchandise page, which you know is the Joe Business page. And the uh, Amazon link is there lurking. 
Click on that, go through, because you're buying stuff from Amazon anyway, aren't you? Yes, of course you are. You're going ahead and buying products and bringing them home or having them bring them to your home like a king. Bring me a garden hose. Done. But don't have to meet them at the gate like a jester. Uh, so order stuff from Amazon, but please use our link. Use the Amazon link right there on the merchandise page. Click through, and then we get money. They get money. You get stuff. It's a perfect symbiotic relationship for all three of us. It keeps me afloat. It keeps them afloat because God knows Amazon needs your five cents to stay afloat. Holy fuck, do they? Uh, but I do. So using uh, Amazon really helps me out. Use the link. It keeps this show going. And, uh, and I can't thank you enough for everybody who's still using it. They use it at their work. They use it at home. Anybody who's using the, the link makes me happy. And thank you for thinking of me and the show. Amazon link available at the MikeSchmidtComedy.com website on the merchandise page. Click on it. We get money. They get money. You get stuff. Uh, have I plugged? I think I've plugged everything I need to plug. We are plugged. We are so super fucking plugged, baby. So let's talk about this now, folks. Now, spoilers are coming. I must warn you. Uh, I talked last week about seeing Quentin Tarantino. I saw the I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't want to give away how I felt about the movie because I want people to see it. Well, it's been a it's been a week. It's been out for a week now, and uh, it played to full houses. It is it is his his most successful opening to date, which I will not lie surprised the fuck out of me because. Uh, Django made a ton of money and Inglorious Bastards made a ton of money, but I guess maybe they didn't open as strong and they got word of mouth and they fucking ran and had legs or whatever the fuck Hollywood wants to say. But this movie made $41 million over the weekend because people, um, how do I put this? You know, they're excited for his movies. They've been excited for this movie for a while. They love Leonardo DiCaprio. They love Brad Pitt. They love Margot Robbie. And, uh, and also they're, they're, it's, they're, they're sick of, the same fucking stuff, man. I mean, the same stuff is in the theaters. Toy Story 4. Um, and look, I loved Spider-Man. I loved Endgame. But I mean, this is an original film by an original filmmaker. Uh, just like Midsommar was. You know what I mean? Anybody anybody shooting for the fucking moon, I'm on board. I want to see it. And as we know, uh, Quentin Tarantino makes movies for me. He is, he is my guy and always has been since the fucking second I saw Reservoir Dogs. So I couldn't wait to see this movie. I told you last week that I went into the theater and I saw it. Now, I'll tell you a little bit more about the experience from the first night. You know, I, I went and it was a packed house. They had the wax figure of, of Tarantino. He himself was in there. And uh, my initial reaction upon seeing this movie, and again, spoilers are coming, everybody. When I saw the movie, and I even texted this to friends, and I, you're going to hear a lot of this on Comedy Film Nerds because we'd spoiled the shit out of it, and I had a lot of the same thoughts. So I'm just warning you now. Uh, it's not like I'm repeating myself. This is just how I feel. Uh, when I saw the movie the first night, I thought this movie is really good, but I wanted it to be fucking amazing. Uh, I, I, to me, it's better than Hateful Eight right out of the gate. I mean, I liked Hateful Eight, but it was the, it was the first Tarantino movie that I did not see multiple times in a theater. Uh, and I just it just I don't know if it was the genre. I know. Look, I in Hateful Eight, there's a scene that actually bothered me, which is strange for me. I never you know, I'm not that guy, but there was a scene where I just thought I go, this is overkill. This does not need to be in here. And and. And it says a lot more about me than it does about the filmmaker, certainly. I mean, I, you know, Tarantino, because again, if you look at his movies, there's overkill. I mean, you know, one of my, my favorite line in Pulp Fiction is, is when they're cleaning the car after blowing off Marvin's head and Samuel L. Jackson goes, in fact, why am I on brain detail? We're switching. I'm washing the windows and you're picking up this N-word's skull. And that, just because the, the balls to write that in a script, just that fucking line, because again, Samuel L. Jackson is so fucking mad because that's when... Uh, he goes, oh, he goes, you're a race car in the red? Well, I'm a mushroom cloud laying motherfucker, motherfucker. 
Every time my finger touches any between pieces of brain, I'm Superfly TNT. I'm the guns of the Navarone. In fact, why am I on brain detail? Uh, we're switching. I'm washing the windows, and you're picking up this uh, this player's skull. And just that exchange. Two guys, they just blew a dude's fucking head off. They're literally cleaning up brain, and they're fighting about who has to do what. It's it's It fucking sings. Pulp Fiction sings all the way through. Jackie Brown sings all the way through. Fucking all of those movies sing all the way through. Bastards gets, you know, even though it turns into a farce, literally, on purpose. Uh, Django, they sing. The, the, the dialogue, the fucking back and forth, it's all, it's of a piece and it's all fucking perfect. Uh, and then I saw Hateful Eight and I have parts that I love, but I, I literally, I have not seen the movie since it opened. I saw it Christmas Eve in Milwaukee. I saw, and it's funny, I saw it with my ex, which this will, this is also the thing. I knew watching it, I'm like, ooh, this isn't, this is not, for me, his best foot forward. And this is her first Tarantino movie of all time. So I'm watching it with her and I'm, I'm sitting there just going, oh, you know, because now, because I want to show her other Tarantino movies and I'm going to, I'm, I'm worried that she's going to go, yeah, I don't, yeah, can't. I'm out. Because she did that with Terminator. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I was like, I was so excited to show her his work and to be there because, man, I could not fucking, you know me. Those are my Avengers. Any Tarantino movie is my Avengers. That's my fucking Spider-Man. That's that's my landmark. I wait for those movies. They're coming, you know, every four years, every three years now they come out. But I'm I'm I can't wait. Uh, so I saw this movie uh, the first night, and I saw it in a full house. And this is a full house of Tarantino fucking literally guys who were in the bag for Tarantino completely, man. And the movie starts. Uh, and I, I will, I'm going to talk about things that I think are mistakes and it's silly because again, I, I, well, let me just preface it by doing this before I, I get out the long knives. I love this movie. Now I can't stop thinking about it. I, my brother wants me to go tomorrow night, which is Friday night at midnight. And I, I can't because I have to make some fucking money before I go to Toronto, but I really want to go. I really, really want to go. And I can't, um, I would, I, when I find myself like, and granted I should, there's a lot of work I should be doing, but I find myself going, man, I, you know, I should, what time's it showing? I should probably just go. I can go catch it. Uh, which seems funny for a two hour and 40 minute movie that I could invest myself that way and just go see, but I, but it's that, it's that kind of experience for me now. I just want, I want to see it with people who haven't seen it. I want it to wash over me. I want to see the reactions to certain things. And, uh, and it just, it, it brings me joy now. I can sit, you know what? I, I think I've talked about this before. One of the things I love more than anything is when I can put my, myself in the hands of somebody and just let them do the driving. I used to feel that way for Mystery Science Theater 3000 all the time. I would sit and watch Mystery Science Theater. If it, if it came on, I could turn it on, and I knew I never had to touch the remote for two hours. Even through commercials, I didn't give a fuck, whatever. I could leave it on because that was going to be so good. Every bit, the cutaways, uh, whether it was Mike Nelson or Joel, uh, it was always going to be funny. It was always going to be perfect, and I could just sit there and, and marinate in it for two hours. I was like, ah, I can put the remote down. I can turn my brain off, and I don't have to fucking worry. And that's how I feel with Tarantino. I, I go to a movie and I can just let him drive and I can just, I can just enjoy his vision and what he's bringing to me. And Hateful Eight, I will tell you, was the first time where I kind of went, ooh, 
Because I, again, I'm trusting him to take me anywhere he wants me to go. And then he took me to a place in hateful eight where I was like, yeah, that's uh, and also look, I was also hypersensitive because again, I'm sitting there with my, my girlfriend at the time who had never seen any of his movies. And so she's judging him through a scene. There's like literally a seven minute scene where somebody describes a male rape. You know what I mean? And you're like, oh boy. And seven minutes seems strong, but it sure seemed like seven fucking minutes. Uh, and also then it's, 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 uh, filmed in 70 millimeter in, on a, in a landscape that's, that's just begging for fucking cinematography. And, uh, and then they're in a cabin for three hours of a three hour and seven minute movie. It becomes this murder mystery in a cabin. And I mean, that's fine. And then there's, uh, and I don't want to turn this into a hateful eight rip fest. I mean, again, I'm just going from what I remember because I need to see it again, give it another chance. Cause there was stuff that I really liked. I thought Jennifer Jason Lee was fucking great. Walton Goggins, of course, Samuel L. Jackson, Kurt Russell's fucking amazing. Madsen's great in it. Roth is doing Terry Thomas for some fucking reason. But I mean, it's just, it's, uh, you know, there was enough stuff that I, I like because I like, but it wasn't this thing that I was like, holy fuck, this is amazing. I mean, I, I just, it just, you know, there's this Eskimo Bob character that makes no fucking sense at all. Hey, are you doing whatever the fuck? It's just, it just did not uh, Mexican Bob. I think not Eskimo Bob, whatever the fuck. Uh, I, because very, I'll tell you what, if it's Eskimo Bob and he goes, Hey, how you doing? Then we got a problem. Uh, so I, you know, but I, I after hateful eight, when he met, when he said this movie was going to be in Los Angeles, I, I, that was it because for me, nobody sees Los Angeles like fucking Quentin Tarantino. Nobody puts it on film like Quentin Tarantino. Uh, there are movies that really look that make Los Angeles look fuck like like you're there's movies that you know you're in fucking L.A. Heat. Michael Mann's movie with uh, with De Niro and Val Kilmer and Pacino uh, and Tom Sizemore, of course, it, it is uh, that that movie is Los Angeles to live and die in L.A. is perhaps the quintessential Los Angeles movie. Because it's just neons and the the sky tint and palm trees and highway traffic and there's a chase. Uh, It's to live and die in L.A. is very Los Angeles. Okay, so I would say to live and die in L.A. and Heat are two movies that I would absolutely say. And then after that, it's Jackie Brown. It's Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is so fucking L.A., dude. That scene where Bruce Willis parks uh, away. He parks away from his apartment. He's going to go ahead and get his, his dad's watch. He parks away from the apartment and he cuts across this like vacant lot and you hear you hear the noises outside it that is that is so Los Angeles in the daytime just just I can't I can't describe it because they're going to be like well we get that in our neighborhoods too but Los Angeles is different because you know New York City is New York City it's all New York City and it's noisy all the fucking time but Los Angeles has neighborhoods but even those neighborhoods are noisy in a neighborhood slash city way. It's very difficult to describe unless you've lived here. So you can be walking. I can walk out in my neighborhood right now and you're constantly hearing cars and traffic, even though I'm in a neighborhood with homes and houses and people live here. Uh, it's like a suburb, but there's constant traffic on the streets at all times. And there's dogs and there's kids and there's TVs coming out of windows or there's radios or there's music or there's, there's constant noise. So, that scene in Pulp Fiction when he walks across the, the vacant lot and you hear families in their house or you hear somebody talking or you hear a kid, you hear a TV out of a window and he's just cutting, he's walking and I'm like, I've made this walk. I've made this walk so many times in Los Angeles where you just hear snippets of other people's lives at all times. And he put it on film in such a way where I'm like, I, I, I'd never seen it before. That's in Pulp Fiction, you know? And, and then uh, in Jackie Brown, the scene where, where Samuel L. Jackson takes Chris Tucker out and then, you know, he winds up, 
putting a bullet in him and he puts him in the trunk of a car. You know, or he, he, I'm sorry, he's in the trunk of a car and he shoots him and he closes the trunk. It, just the, the lighting on the plate. You just see California. You see Los Angeles. You absolutely see Los Angeles, even though he's in fucking Compton or where the fuck he is. It's just, you know, and then there's the, the, the mall and, and uh, it's, it's, it's so great. The Diamo mall. It's, it's, he makes Los Angeles look like fucking Los Angeles. He makes Los Angeles feel like fucking Los Angeles. He always has. So, uh, in this movie, uh, you know, it, it's, I, I lost my train of thought and I apologize. I was excited when he was making a film that was going to be in Los Angeles because he makes California and Los Angeles look like, look the way I know it is. He's lived here forever. He knows exactly what the beat is and what it feels like. And, and this movie opens up and it, it, uh, this is a mistake. He opens with a scene from the trailer. There's a scene because there's a teaser trailer and a regular trailer. And I watched them both. I, I usually watch one trailer and I'm done, but the teaser and the, and, and the, the regular trailer, I'm, and he didn't, you know, he didn't spoil a whole lot more in everything else. He, he put out the teaser trailer and you get a taste of the music, you get a taste of what's going on, but there's a scene in the teaser trailer. It's a black and white interview session where a guy's interviewing DiCaprio and Pitt on the set of this Western. And, uh, there's a joke where Pitt says, uh, he goes, Hey, you know, Rick said, Rick, um, DiCaprio says, he, you know, Cliff's meant to carry, carry the load. And the answer goes, is that how you'd call it? And Pitt goes, what carrying his load? That's about right. And, uh, and then the tra- teaser trailer starts. So you get that joke. Well, unfortunately they open the movie. He opens the movie with that scene and we all know that that joke is coming. So it doesn't land the way it should. There's people who laugh in anticipation because they knew it was coming, but I, you know, if you'd watched the trailer any number of times, you've already got it. It's kind of, it's, I know you're supposed to give yourself over and just go, all right, cool. We're here now. And this is playing in front of us. But just the very fact that you have a hint of what's coming, it's still going to, it's going to lessen your response. And look, yeah, I know I'm really, I'm diving deep and film schooling the shit out of this. And I don't mean to, well, fuck that. I guess I do mean to, but these, these, these movies mean a lot to me. And I told you I'm spoiling it. So anyway, the bottom line is I'm there with the whole crowd. And, uh, and the movie's two hours and 40 minutes long. And this, this is my impressions from the first night. Um, there, the stuff that's great in this movie is really, really great. And I, but I thought it could have been more the movie. It's, it's very indulgent. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, there's worthwhile material in there, but it all seems like scenes that are just scenes. And I'm not so sure if they fit in the movie. This is again, my first night's impressions. I, there, Tarantino used to have an editor named Sally Menke. And she, he, he said, she is my only true collaborator. And, uh, and she wound up unfortunately passing away at 56. She died of heat stroke, walking out in the Valley, like on a hike, which is insane. Um, and so she hasn't been around. She wasn't here for hateful eight and she wasn't here for once upon a time in Hollywood. And if I remember correctly, she wasn't there for Django. Um, you know, I think, I think Inglorious Bastards is the last movie she did, but it's, it shows in this movie and it shows in hateful eight that he, he maybe needed a collaborator. He needed somebody to tell him, no, that's how I felt. Keep him focused because we both, we all know Tarantino is, I mean, you think my show is fucking peripatetic and all over the fucking place. He's, he's that guy is a fucking ball of energy and just flying. And I'm amazed that he can even focus himself to write a fucking script and direct. You know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's cause you hear him talk and you see him. He's just like, his brain is moving a fucking thousand miles a minute. So, and then for, so then you see a guy who makes a movie that's like this laconic, this, this settled in this, this movie is, it just, 
there's long scenes like there's an there's almost an entire episode of a Western in this movie. I'm not even joking. There's an entire episode of a movie because there's Rick gets a job as a, in a pilot called Lancer and he's the bad guy in it. And we get him on set. We get him in the makeup room. We get him doing three separate scenes of Lancer. We get him cutting and going back to one. We get them. We get the, the showdown scene. We get we get almost a full episode of Lancer within the body of this movie, which seemed for me. I'm just like, this is uh all right, this is an interesting choice. I mean, this is a lot of fucking Lancer we're getting here. And also Lancer is, is uh, but, but I will tell you this, he, he knows, he, he knows so much about that time period. Those, those half hour fucking Western shows or those hour long Western shows from the late sixties. It, it's the, the camera angles that he uses. They're just this washed out tone. You know, nothing's rich in color at all. Just as fucking like beige. It's just, it's done so fucking well. But do we need it? I'm thinking that the first night. There's a lot of cameras in back seats of cars in this movie. There's a lot of camera shots that start at the feet and move their way up. And I'm talking everybody's feet, men's feet, ladies' feet, boots, everything. You just it, there's he has a thing for having his camera on the ground and then panning all the way up. There are parts of this movie that for me the first time I saw it felt like somebody parodying a Tarantino movie. And we've seen a lot of that anyway because when fucking Reservoir Dogs comes out, Everybody does these knockoffs. All of these people start making fucking movies like Tarantino. They try to write fucking pop culture scripts. They try to do camera angles the way he does. And you just, you can't. He's the master. There's a reason. It's like when guys tried to knock off fucking Scorsese or Coppola. They try to make mafia movies. You're just like, nah, guys, you don't have to do this. But people get influenced and they wind up doing that kind of stuff. Um, so the first night I saw it, I, 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 again, DiCaprio and Pitt, by the way, knock it right off the fucking planet. They are both fucking perfect, perfect in what they do. Brad Pitt is God. That guy can do no fucking wrong ever. His character, Cliff Booth is the moral center of the movie, which makes when you, when you see it, there's a scene uh, where they mention that. And again, spoilers. Uh, th- there's a scene where somebody mentions that Cliff actually killed his wife. Uh, and, and, so for me to say that a guy who actually killed his wife is the moral center of this film. Now you're thinking a Tarantino film. Of course, that makes sense. But Cliff Booth is just he's kind of the intersection in this movie. The hippies are the bad guys. And it's almost like the conservative establishment are the good guys as represented by Rick, Rick, uh, Rick. Well, DiCaprio, I keep calling him fucking Rick. Um, so he he but Cliff Booth is friends with the hippies and he's friends with the conservative establishment. He was a war hero, but also he he doesn't mind picking up hitchhiking hippies and smoking grass or smoking fucking drugs. And he's, uh, he's, he's just a revelation in it. He's just pit. He's floating through it, but he's fucking phenomenal. He's so perfect in it. They knock it off the goddamn planet. Uh, did it land with the crowd the first night? And this is a crowd that's there to love Tarantino. Yes, it did. But I thought it landed in a way where they knew Quentin Tarantino was in the room. So they're laughing at stuff that I didn't personally feel felt needed to be laughed at. They're cracking up at stuff that these like there's a scene. And I said this on comedy film nerds. There's a scene where somebody says and he was smoking a big fat joint and people laugh in the theater. And in my brain, I had this revelation where I went, oh, no, no, fuck. Is he making movies now for people who think the phrase big fat joint is worth it clapping and laughing? Because they did. They like clapped and laughed. And I'm like, we weed. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, but people, I, they want to recognize themselves in a doper or whatever the fuck. That's a doper. Listen to me. I sound like one of the fucking conservative dudes in the movie for fuck's sake. Goddamn fucking hippies. Um, 
Weed is a thing and that's fine. But if you identify yourself with it in that way, I just think that's kind of ridiculous and silly. But good, good for you. Do whatever you want to do and live your life. Um, he repeats something in this movie that's in Hateful Eight. There's a narrator in this movie, okay? And there's a narrator in Hateful Eight. And I, the narrator in Hateful Eight, that, that right there, it's this stretch where you get this, again, 15-minute movie about somebody talking about raping a guy. And then we got an intermission. And then it opens up with the narrator. And the narrator was Quentin Tarantino in Hateful Eight. And he starts telling you, oh, this happened while you were there. And then this happened. And I'm like, dude, show that shit to us. Don't fucking, you don't have to, it's already a three hour and 10 minute movie. You needed a narrator to give me plot points. I mean, that just seems like that seemed lazy to me. And I was, I was a little disappointed. So in this movie, there's a narrator again. Uh, We get, because we get this about an hour and 40 minutes of movie. And then stuff kicks in and and then a narrator goes and then this happened and they went over here and they did this and then this kind of happened and this narrator brings us into the third act. Now I will tell you the first time I saw the movie I was I was like god damn it. Why is there a fucking narrator? You don't need a narrator. Show me this stuff because um in the movie uh Rick winds up getting booked to do spaghetti westerns in Italy. And he goes and he films some spaghetti westerns. Uh, well, he doesn't want to do it but then after Lancer he gets the offer and he goes to Italy to film these movies. And what happens is we get the narrator telling us, Rick, we basically six months, we jump six months and this guy recaps the previous six months. Well, Rick, it's Kurt Russell. I'll just tell you, he's the narrator, which good. At least it's not Tarantino, but he goes, well, Rick did go to Italy and he did film these, uh, these, you know, these Nebraska gym and he made a really good Nebraska gym, but he found that the, everybody speaks their own language, tower of Babel style of filmmaking in Italy to be a joke. And then he's like, so now he's coming back to America and he made four, he made four movies, uh, you know, Operazione Dynamite. And it's, and it's a way to show clever movie posters. It's a way to get, there's also an Antonio Margariti reference in here. Margariti, Antonio Margariti, which is a name, a real director, but also a name from Inglorious Bastards. And I will tell you the first night people went crazy when he said Antonio Margariti because everybody recognized it from Inglorious Bastards because we're all fucking Tarantino heads. It was great. Um, and I realize I'm all over the place in this fucking, this criticism, but, but the narrator, I was like, why are you doing this? This again, these are the first night impressions. Uh, it's, it's, it, it takes its time. This movie, it's laid back this movie. I would say it doesn't even really get going Tarantino wise until the scene. Uh, there's a scene where, uh, Brad Pitt drops off DiCaprio to go film Lancer. And then Brad Pitt goes to DiCaprio's house to fix the TV antenna. And Pitt goes up on the roof and then he has a flashback and he remembers because he didn't, he wanted to get a job on Lancer and Rick couldn't get him a job on Lancer. So he has a flashback to the moment when he basically probably killed his career. Uh, And it's, it's when he's working on the green Hornet and that's the Bruce Lee scene. All right. And again, spoiler alert, Bruce Lee was Cato on the Green Hornet. Well, Bruce Lee is in this movie and Pitt is there and Pitt is never better than he is in this scene because he's just very dismissive of Bruce Lee. Uh, and I and I, let's talk about this for just a second. Um, well, no, I'll get to this later. So that's but that scene is when it really starts to cook. All right. You know, I, I but again, the manslaughter line is in the trailer and then we get to see the manslaughter line in the movie and it doesn't land the way it should because it's a great fucking line. It still gets a laugh, but it would have blown the roof off if it's not in the trailer. It's so weird to me to say that if you watch the teaser trailer and the regular trailer and you look at all the stuff in the Tarantino movie and you think to yourself, you know, it's a two hour and 40 minute movie. There's no way this two minutes spoils it, but there's like four fucking iconic great things in that in the trailer that are in the movie that would have crushed in the movie if you didn't know they were coming. Also, uh, let's deal with this. 
leading up to the movie, all I heard from everybody was like, oh my God, Tarantino's making a Manson movie. Holy fuck, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be so fucking violent. I, I, I can't believe he's taking on the Manson murders. And then you see the movie, and uh, again, spoilers. Uh, this movie's not about the Manson family at all. Charles Manson is in this movie for 90 seconds. 90 seconds of screen time. He And he doesn't interact with fucking Pitt or DiCaprio. He interacts with Jay Sebring and... Uh, he he says hello to Sharon Tate and that's it. There's a scene in the trailer where he waves at Pitt up on the roof. That's not in there. And, uh, and at Manson's in the movie, 90 fucking seconds. Now we get the family. We get the visit to spawn ranch. Uh, we get to see how creepy and feral the fucking Manson family were living in spawn ranch. That, that scene, there's a ton of tension, a ton of dread built up. And then for me, it doesn't pay off. Uh, and again, these are all first time impressions, first night impressions. Uh, there's a scene where Pitt goes to the Spawn Ranch. And by the way, he picks up this girl named Margaret Qualley, who I've never seen before. I don't know anything about her as an actress, uh, but I know now that I want to see her in every goddamn movie that exists because I don't, there was something about her that made you want to watch her. She was very sexy. She was very, really good and just this really crazy kind of kid. And I was just like, oh, and it, it's again, I'm 52. And I, she's got to be 21. There's no way I can say that she's sexy. I get that. But... She has this, but there's a reason Pitt's drawn to her. There's an inherent sexy and vulnerability, but also quirkiness and weirdness. She's just, she's just like a fucking cat. She climbs all over Pitt in the car. It's just, you're just like, Jesus Christ. Um, every, and, and so that's I should say this. All of the acting is phenomenal. There, oh, except for one part. There's one, there's one performance. <laughs> I'm going to say this. There is one scene in this movie where I, where you just go, oh, come on. Everybody else, the acting is fucking great. It, it, they crush it. Timothy Oliphant plays James Stacy, which by the way, James Stacy is a real person. He's a real actor. And when Timothy Oliphant walks on screen, I went, holy fuck, because he looks just like James Stacy. It's, I don't know what they did. It's like they just changed his hair and might have put some makeup on his forehead. He looks just like the fucking guy. I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's insane. So he has a scene where he talks to fucking Terrence, or to Pitt or to, to DiCaprio. Um, who's Rick Dalton in the movie and, and they're on the set of the, 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 the Lancer I, again. So anyway, so the first night I didn't think the jokes were landing the way they should. I, I, there was some stuff that's really great, but the stuff that's in the trailer, I'm like, oh man, you shouldn't have done this. I didn't like the narrator. Uh, but I thought the movie was really good. I thought it was, I thought it was maybe a, an hour and 50 minute, two hour movie. Uh, that's two hours and 40 minutes. So there's a lot of indulgent stuff in there. And I, I thought to myself, I, I, so I, I literally walked out of the movie theater and I was, people were going, you know, clapping and I, I clapped because I went again, the stuff that's in it that's great is fucking great. It flows, it sings. There's a scene with DiCaprio and a young actress that's unbelievably good. Any, anytime there's dialogue, because again, that's what he does. When he has people talking to one another, when he has people engaging with one another, but, you know, there's a great scene where, uh, you know, in the beginning, DiCaprio, he, you know, Pacino, who, by the way, again, and let's talk about this really quick. Al Pacino, I don't need him in the movie. He plays, the, I guess he wanted to work with Tarantino or Tarantino wanted to work with Pacino, so he created this role for him. It's a role that he could have gotten really any other good actor to do. He could have unearthed some guy from the 70s and 80s like he always does and give them them that part. I, I bet Michael Parks, if he was alive, he could have been that part. Uh, Bruce Dern doesn't belong in this movie, but Bruce Dern is in the movie because Burt Reynolds died. Burt Reynolds was supposed to be the Burt Dern character. 
and and unfortunately, Burt Reynolds, you know, he he passed away, so he couldn't do it. So Dern takes his place, and Dern doesn't belong in it. And also, that scene fizzles. It doesn't make any fucking sense. It's supposed to have a couple of laughs in it. And I guess it does, but it doesn't pay off what we've built up to up to that point. In my opinion, again, this is first night observations. Uh the 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 dialogue between people though is just it's so good when when P- Pussycat's in the car and talking to fucking Cliff Booth and when Cliff Booth is talking to Bruce Lee or when Dalton is talking to Sam Wanamaker who's Nicholas Hammond playing a director who just crushes it out of the park for being this crazy you know wild haired fucking that was great everything's great this is great I must have the zeitgeist moment I need a Zapata mustache like that kind of dude who's fucking iconic and crazy he's awesome that stuff fucking sings, but there is, but there's so much like he basically wrote a Lancer episode. So the Lancer episode is written like a 1960s Western, and that doesn't sing like a 2019 Tarantino movie. We're watching a 60s Western within a Tarantino movie, and that's big chunks that don't have the dialogue and don't have what we expect to get from a Tarantino movie. Does that make sense? It's as if he wrote a 1969 Western episode episodic television and and we, we and but he couldn't be Tarantino because obviously with the fucking Hayes code and fucking TV it's totally different uh, so you get a lot of Leo kind of chewing up scenery a lot of overacting a lot of fun stuff and and but also I will take but I say this but then when it breaks when Leo can't remember his lines and they have to cut to one you get this real neat scene where the, the camera moves and we're getting a behind the scenes look of what it's like to make episodic television now I will tell you this is that something that a moviegoer in Alabama wants to see? Is that something that a moviegoer in Maine wants to see? Or anybody who's not interested in the industry? Do you really want to see behind the scenes of a 60s Western? Maybe you don't. Maybe you're there waiting to see a briefcase in Pulp Fiction and a guy getting fucking shot. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. He's, But he's also a filmmaker who doesn't fucking care anymore. He's going to do what he wants. And he should. He fucking should. And that's the revelation I had the second time I watched the movie. When I saw it the first night, I thought this is indulgent and this is almost lazy. And it, and some of it plays like a parody. And there's a lot of shots from the backseat of a car and there's a lot of shot of feet. Because, boy, I'll tell you what, there are feet galore in this movie. Everybody makes fun of Tarantino and the feet thing. There are there is it's fucking crazy how many people don't have fucking shoes in this movie. Now, look, there's other people with shoes as well. But it, it, the, the fact he like the way I said it on, on comedy film nerds is he steers into the skid of the foot fetish thing. Everybody is barefoot. And good for him. That's fine. And it's to the point where the second time I saw it, there's an actress who puts her feet, uh, the p- pussycat puts her feet up on the dashboard and people just started laughing because they're like, oh, Jesus Christ, really? Because we also get Sharon Tate putting her feet up on a fucking movie theater seat, which filth. Come on, man. Put your, get your feet off there. But also, if you looked and you saw dirty feet, you'd be like, oh, man, disgusting. And then you looked and saw it was Margot Robbie. You'd say, oh, I didn't know an angel had come to earth. And you'd let her put her feet wherever you wanted. If a fucking Margot Robbie's, Robbie's behind me in a fucking movie seat, she could put her fucking dirty feet over my ears like earmuffs and I'll enjoy the film that way. I'm fine. Um, I mentioned Pacino doesn't belong in the movie and it could have been somebody else. The first time I saw the movie, I thought there's no reason for Sharon Tate to be in here. Margot Robbie doesn't get much to do except look like an angel, look like she's not from this fucking planet, look like she's not the same species as the rest of us because she has everything in this movie but a fucking halo. She is everything good and perfect in this movie. She is so beautiful. Sharon Tate is portrayed as just full of sweetness and light. And and the first time I saw it, I thought, well, she's just a framing device. The Manson thing is just, because literally it's true. 
Margot Robbie, Sharon Tate, the Manson family, that's just in here as a framing device to tell the story of two friends, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth. And the, the rise and fall of Rick Dalton's career and the always fall, the straight line and fall of Cliff Booth's career. That's and how they deal with it. It's a movie about those two guys. And the Manson family is all fringe. It's fucking Aragones, man. It's, it's in the fucking margins. Um, that's how I felt the first time I saw it. But the second time I saw it, I realized that Margot Robbie's in there to, to add hope to the film, you know, because we're seeing Rick Dalton, who is essentially falling apart. His career is ending. Cliff Booth has never had a career of which to speak. Um, and, and let's talk about this. Like Brad Pitt is, he's the, he's the walking embodiment of men want to be him and women want to fuck him. I mean, he's just that guy. He's, he's macho without being a parody. He's, if, if you were to think of, if you were to look up masculinity in a dictionary, hopeful masculinity, let's put it that way. If you were to look up hopeful masculinity in the dictionary, it would be Brad Pitt. It's incredibly attractive, but it's also not obnoxious about it. And it just, and it's just cool and masculine and kind of tough and, uh, and matter of fact, and doesn't overreact in any situation. Like literally, if you were going to define for me, me again, if I was going to define a man, if I was going to say what a man is, it would be Cliff Booth in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Now, did he maybe kill his wife? Yes. Uh, is he a loser who can't get out of his own, get out of his own way? Yes. Because that's the thing. It's funny that I'm saying to you, Cliff Booth for me is like the definition of a man. Because even, even fucking DiCaprio, who's, who's Rick Dalton, you know, he owns a house. He's an actor. He's had all this career, but he's the one who's crying. He's the one who's worried about his life being over. He's the one who's just obviously ready to fall apart at any given second because he realizes there's a great scene, like I said, where he, he has this dialogue with this little girl and he's just like, hey man, this book's about a guy who's um, getting older and he's realizing that he's getting to be more and more useless every day and he doesn't know how to handle it. And he's basically telling his own story through this fucking paperback novel and it dawns at him and he starts fucking crying in front of an eight-year-old girl. It's written so well and it's acted so perfectly. And DiCaprio, again, he just, he just can't hit a sour fucking note. The guy's so fucking good. Pitt is so fucking good. Cliff Booth, meanwhile, is a stuntman who made friends with DiCaprio's character, Rick Dalton, on Bounty Law, which was the show that made him a star. And because he became friends with him, he looks just like him. and They wound up being cool ass buddies. And now whenever DiCaprio gets a job, he tries to get Pitt a job on the same thing. But when Pitt's not working, he hangs out with fucking DiCaprio. He drives him around. He does repairs around his house. He, he you know, he even says very early in the movie, because it's not you're not disillusioned into thinking that Cliff Booth is a, su- a success. Because DiCaprio says, hey, man, you're a stuntman. And he goes, man, I'm not a stuntman. I haven't stuntman in a long time. I'm your gopher. I'm your driver. And I like doing it. I like how sitting in the Hollywood Hills. But, you know, let's let's not pretend that I got some kind of career here. And it's it shows you again why I say he's he's hopeful masculinity. He's a guy who always knows at all times who he is and what's going on. He doesn't disillusion himself like Rick. Rick is like, I'm an actor, but, uh, you know, who knows what's going to happen next? And he's crying and he's sad. Whereas Cliff Booth is just like, fuck, man, this is this is just it. This is my life. There's a great scene where Cliff Booth drops Rick off in the beginning of the movie. He drops him off at the fucking movie or at his own home. And then he goes, all right, I'm going to head home. I'll be here in the morning to pick you up. And he gets in his shitty Carmen Ghia looking fucking sports car. He drives like a stunt man through the streets of fucking Los Angeles and through the canyons. And he goes to the valley. And I, I love, by the way, the transition of Rick lives in the Hollywood Hills and Cliff, who has nothing going on, lives in the valley. Hi, guess where this podcast comes from? 
And uh, Cliff lives by the Van Nuys Drive-In, which he recreated for this movie in this stunning detail because that used to be here and now it's torn down. Uh, And it turns out that Brad Pitt, Cliff Booth, unbelievably good-looking, tough guy, stuntman, friend of Hollywood star Rick Dalton, lives in a trailer behind the Van Nuys Drive-In. Lives in a fucking mobile home. And uh, he, but you know what? He opens the door of the trailer and there's his dog, Brandy, which is like, I, it looked to me like the scariest fucking dog ever. Like, I mean, Dobermans look scary. This just looked like a pit bull mastiff com- combination. It was just a monster. But we're introduced to Brandy because you just hear licking and then you pan down to the floor and there's Brad Pitt with Brandy straddling his chest, licking his face and he's hugging her and petting her. And he's like, I brought you a surprise. And he gives her a steak bone. And you see his trailer is just fucking garbage got a small black and white TV. It's playing Robert Goulet, which turns into Mannix. He's got a poster on the wall of a, like a, like a pinup girl in a fucking loincloth. He goes in to cook food. He makes boxed macaroni and cheese. And by the way, uses no milk because he's a fucking genius. Uh, he just pours the, but he actually just pours the fucking cheese powder in. I don't even know if he used butter, but you see that he's got beer cans stacked on the fucking countertop and he's got a dirty skillet with bacon fat in it and he's got another pot with chili in it in the fucking state. He's just, he's an overgrown kid who's floating through life. And and I'll tell you this, if there's not an over 60% of men who've seen this movie who related to that, I'll be surprised. I'll be shocked if it's less than that. You know what I mean? There's this, especially now with the way things are going. Sure, there's people who went to college and did all this, but this is a guy who chased his fucking dream and never got it. And I'll tell you, guess who I related to in this fucking movie? And I don't want to be like, I related to Brad Pitt. He's really good looking. I related to him because, you know what? Obviously, he he's floated through life and never focused on one thing. And he went, oh, well, he's in the war and he did good things. And then he wound up getting married and it didn't work out. Extremely didn't work out. And then he hooks up with Rick. And now he's just... uh you know, he's getting whatever Rick's got for him. He's, he's living on crumbs his whole life, but he's not bitter about it. He's not angry. He understands it. He just absorbs it and he, and he moves on. And that's the thing. You can be like that and get defeated by that sort of a lifestyle. But Cliff Booth, just it, 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 he's literally the embodiment of it is what it is. And he's going to make all the chicken salad he fucking can out of all the chicken shit that he's been handed. But by the way, he hasn't just been handed it. He earned it because... He can't control himself. He acted like a fucking dick on the Green Hornet set. Uh, he might have killed his wife. He, he, he's caused his own problems and he doesn't moan about it. He understands he's in that fucking situation because of his own actions. He doesn't piss and he doesn't moan and he doesn't cry. He's just like, well, this is what we're doing. Lives in a trailer and, uh, you know, he puts Brandy and he's going to feed Brandy. Brandy's his, you know, his closest friend. Uh, I would say even closer than Rick. Uh, he's got her trained to the pack where she has to sit there and watch as he opens the food. And Tarantino, of course, is good for this. He makes a fucking, he makes his own dog food brand, just like Red Apple Cigarettes. He made his own beer, Old Chattanooga. I don't think that's a real beer. He invented Old Chattanooga beer for this movie. There's this dog food called Wolf Tooth. Uh, good food for mean dogs. Rat flavor and bird flavor. You get the fucking close up on the labels. Uh, and he feeds Brandy two cans of fucking canned food and a pile of dry food. And then she can't eat. She's drooling. She's literally drooling until Brad Pitt sits down and he's eating his macaroni and cheese with a beer and he goes... And then the dog gets to go over and eat. That's how well-trained Brandy is. Um, but he lives in a trailer with a dog and it's a filthy trailer. And, uh, and he's, like I said, he does, he's not judgmental. He's like, all right, man, hippies are cool. And these guys are cool. And Rick's cool. And he's, anything is good with Cliff Booth. He's the moral center of the film. He's the center of the Venn diagram between the hippies and the conservatives. He's, he's all things to all people, but a failure to himself. 
but he doesn't mind it. He understands it. He just lives his life. And am I projecting? Probably. But when I said that Sharon Tate is the is is superfluous in this, it's it's a, it's something that I realized when I saw it the second time. No, she's she she's necessary. She's necessary because she showed the hope of the era. She showed the hope of the change of the era. And and that's why a lot of people, when they were murdered, they see it as the end of the 60s, the end of idealism, the end of all these other things. You know, a lot, and, and look, man, it's been portrayed that way. I'm sure that all over the country, the other 49 states weren't thinking that way. But in L.A., uh, you know, up near San Francisco and then down in fucking Los Angeles, I'm sure people were like, holy fuck, because the it showed that the hippies could be dangerous. It showed that the hippies weren't just a fucking movement. They were they were possible. They could possibly do bad things, too. Uh, and it was a it was a time when nobody knew who were heroes anymore. It was the military heroes? Well, they're in Vietnam, so now they've been villainized, and everybody was tired of war and violence. And then this ultra violence happens in L.A. And uh, I'm analyzing here. I got a magnifying glass that I probably shouldn't have. The point is, the first time I saw it, I was I was I really thought it was really good. I texted my friends because they asked me, I go, "Do you really want to know what I think?" Because I'll tell you. I go, "But I won't spoil anything." They're like, "Yeah." I go, "Well, or do you want to see it without hearing my opinion?" Um, but I thought, I go, you know what? He needs an editor. He needs someone to keep him focused. He indul- he's indulgent. There's worthwhile material all through this, but it just, there's some stuff that didn't need to be in here. I don't need a full episode of Lancer. I, I, I know all these things. And then the second time I saw it, I said, you know what? I watched it. And as it was unfolding before me and I was experiencing it, I went, you know what? I'm in the hands of a guy who's made my favorite film of all time. I'm in the hands of the guy who's made seven masterpieces. Yes, that's right. Seven. Uh, I would leave Hateful Eight and Death Proof off the list. Uh, Death Proof, I, he wrote he wrote dialogue that should sing, but he gave it to Zoe Bell, who for me was not the best vehicle for it. But that's just me. The first half of Death Proof, where they're in the bar and Rosario Dawson is there and she does the fucking dance and then and then you know Kurt Russell's stuntman Mike and then he puts Rose McGowan in the car and then he goes on the fucking death ride. Uh, that's all great. But then after that, when we come, when the second part of the movie is when you lose me. Uh, but the first half's promising. It's very much a grindhouse movie. It's fucking cool as hell. And then I think 45 minutes in, it just kind of goes, oh, right. I don't know why this is happening. Um, but the other seven, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Dogs, Pulp, Jackie Brown, uh, Inglorious, and Django, all of them, all of them masterpieces, home runs. And when I watched the movie the second time, this movie, uh, I'm I'm comfortable putting it in that category. It's it's a masterpiece because it 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 tells the story of of two men whose lives are connected but they're on divergent paths. But then there is a a horrific event that brings them back together in the end and unifies them and changes their lives. Uh and what's that horrific event? Well, it's the Manson murders. But not the Manson murders you're thinking of. You see, in real life, the Manson family showed up at Sharon Tate's house and they uh, they wound up killing Sharon Tate and Abigail Folger and Wojtek Frykowski and they wound up killing uh, Jay Sebring and, and, uh, and murdered everybody that was there. And then the next night they killed the Lobiancos and, and everybody it just paralyzed Los Angeles. But in this movie, uh, our good friend Quentin Tarantino posits what if that didn't happen the way it happened how would that change our world well he doesn't explore the full theme about how it would change the world but he does give you the starting point because in this movie the manson family shows up and they go in the wrong house 
They're there to kill Sharon Tate and everybody who lives in the house. But instead, they sneak into Rick Dalton's house. And uh, I said I was going to spoil stuff. I'm going to spoil just to that point. I can't. I don't want to tell you uh, what what happens. <laughs> uh, you've got to see it. Because I will tell you this. This is another thing I felt. Like, there are a lot of people who are saying this is Tarantino's best movie of all time. They love it. They're going crazy. Now, the first time I saw the movie, I didn't understand that reaction. Because there were people in the lobby of the theater who were like, oh, my God, this is the greatest. This is the fucking best movie of all time. This is, this is his best work. And I didn't feel that way. Like I said, when I walked out, I thought it was really good. But I, I thought there was a lot of stuff that I, I, I was like, hmm, I was on the fence about it. And I will tell you, I saw this movie by myself, and I really wanted to talk about it. So I get in the lobby, and there was a woman standing there. And... uh and she caught my eye and I caught her eye and I said, hey, I go, did you see the movie? And she goes, I did. And I said, what'd you think? She goes, I really liked it. I go, so did I. I thought it was really good. And there was a beat. And I said, I think there were some issues with it because it was my little, let's see. You know what I mean? Is she in the cult? Is she someone who wants to talk movies? I don't, I don't even know. And she goes, yeah, I think maybe that, uh, you know, it didn't need to be in, in the Westerns. And I go, Yes. Exactly. And I said, and what about this? And she said, and what about this? And we started to talk and she was great. We engaged in a conversation. We only talked for like two minutes. And I was like, I said, I loved it. I thought Pitt and DiCaprio were great. I thought Margot Robbie's great. I don't know why she's in the movie. I don't know why Pacino's in the movie. She's like, I know, I understand. She goes, but it's really good. She goes, but I'm still trying to process it. And I go, yeah, me too. I said, but I, I know I enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I just, I guess... I had expectations of it being amazing because it's Los Angeles. I go, and Los Angeles looks so unbelievable in the movie. She goes, oh my God, yes. There's that haze and then the, the, all the neon. It's so good. I go, yes. That scene where all the neon turns on. That, there's a five-minute scene. I'll, I'll get to it in a second. So anyway, we talked for like two minutes and finally her boyfriend shows up. And again, we weren't vibing, but her boyfriend comes over and, and he, dude, there was no doubt. There was no doubt he was jealous. It was so wild because she and I are engaged in a conversation. He walks over and he goes, hey, honey. And he kissed her right away, like, which is almost like a way to go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close your mouth right now because I'm going to kiss you in front of this guy to prove that you're mine. Um, even though it wasn't about that. But then he just goes, hey, how you doing? I go, hey, man, I'm Mike. He goes, hi, I'm Eric. And then he literally, he, they, he, you know, he held her hand and they walked away. She didn't say goodbye. He, you know, I, I, whatever the fuck. He, he led her away from me, which is fine. I totally understand it because here's why. I was looking for the experience of talking about the movie with somebody after the movie. And I was stealing that experience from Eric. He's going to go talk about it with his girlfriend at House of Pies or whatever the fuck. They're going to have dinner. They're going to go talk about the movie. They're going to break it down. He doesn't want her doing that with me in the fucking lobby of the theater. I totally get that, dude. So he, but it was so funny. That he like, kissed her right away to like kind of go, yeah, mm, how you doing, babe? What's up, man? It was because he was a little skinny guy and, uh, and he's not wrong. He wasn't wrong, but we were just talking. And so I introduced myself, shook his hand. He's like, okay, great. And he just like, they walk away. Uh, and I understand he didn't want me stealing his after movie conversation. He didn't want her to get out of all of her points out. I, I believe me, I completely related to it, but all I wanted to do was talk about it. So when my friends asked for texts, I'm like, well, it's this and this. And I think it's indulgent. I think it's great when it sings. It's great. The great stuff is fucking phenomenal. I think he's made seven masterpieces. I'm in the tank for this guy, but this movie, you know, it, it just, it just, it's not remarkable in spots and it doesn't need it. And like I said, part of it plays like a parody and there's, there's a payoff that doesn't come. And I, I said, look, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you, but I mean, it, you know, cause my friend asked, he's like, I want to know everything you want to want to talk about. I'm like, all right, man, I go, I I'm going to ruin it for you. I go, I won't give away plot points, but I'll tell you my feelings and did. And that was how I felt. That's genuinely how I felt the first time I saw it. But then the second time I saw it, I went, this is, this is a movie where it's a hang. Everybody's just calling it a hangout movie. And I gotta go. Yeah, I have to agree because in this movie, you hang out with fucking Rick Dalton. You hang out with fucking Cliff Booth. 
You get to hang out with Margot Robbie on a day through Westwood where she sees herself on a movie screen and it's the cutest fucking scene because she does her little karate moves along with the screen. You love Sharon Tate. And I'll tell you what, he fools you. This is a great thing too. You love Sharon Tate so much in this movie. You love her presence. You love her. Like literally, she's an angel. She floats above the action. She's so fucking good. And in your mind, you're dreading it because you're going, oh man, we got to watch her get murdered. We got to watch her get murdered later. So then the movie theater, this happened all three times I've seen it now. This is the reaction. Uh, You know, Rick finishes shooting Lancer. There's this phenomenal transition scene where where California Dreamin' plays, and it's Jose Feliciano's version, so you don't get the fucking hack version you always hear, even though the Mamas and Papas are geniuses, but you don't get that version, okay? You get this version of, of Jose Feliciano singing with just a fucking acoustic guitar, and it's twilight in February in Los Angeles. It's 5 o'clock, 5.30 p.m., and it's dark. It's getting dark. Um, we see Jim Stacy right off on a motorcycle. We see Sharon Robbie uh, getting out of the movie theater in Westwood. We see Cliff Booth picking up Rick Dalton. And then we see all of the neon come alive in Los Angeles. We see Dervener Schnitzel. We see Chili John's in Burbank. We see fucking Taco Bell. All the signs light up. <clears throat> it's, almost, it's reminiscent of the scene in Dazed and Confused, which I know uh, is a movie that Tarantino loves. <clears throat> it's, it's reminiscent of a scene where they where the where the the city comes alive because everybody's going to go crawl to top-notch burgers and everything like literally it's the the main drag comes to life. And Tarantino does kind of like a nod to that by having everything, you know, Chili John's lights up, the supply sergeant lights up, all these different iconic Los Angeles signs light up their neon and he gives you each one of them. And it's this transition from day into night, you know, the day's ending and now the night's starting and then we get 6 months later uh, so Feliciano plays California Dreaming, and then six, uh, six months later, then the narrator comes in and he tells you what's happened in the previous six months from February until August. And right now we get DiCaprio on a plane coming home from Italy. We get Cliff Booth back in coach. And the narrator tells us about the Italian movies, the Italian westerns. He tells us that Sharon is pregnant and she's going out that night to El Coyote. And the scenes, the, the way it's structured, again, I was mad at the narrator the first, first movie. And then the second time I saw it, I was like, no, this is perfect. Because there's a song called Out of Time by the Rolling Stones that he uses in this movie. But he uses a different version because, of course, it's Tarantino. He uses the different version of California Dream and he uses a different version of Out of Time. Because Out of Time is a very spare song, xylophone and almost like finger snaps. And uh, it actually closes a movie called Coming Home from 1978. It's, it's a, to me, <clears throat> whenever I hear the song, I think of that movie because it's, it's such a powerful ending. Well, in this movie, it's used to transition from... Uh, from the six months we've been away, it transitions to them coming home in August. And it follows Sharon and, and her party to El Coyote. It follows Cliff and Rick to Casa Vega in the valley. And it shows how their nights progressed while out of time is playing. They're walking through the airport like uh, you know, Rick got married in Italy. And and again, also the just the song out of time and out of because it's out, you're out of touch, my baby, uh, my poor discarded baby, 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 you're out of time. That's the chorus. And so. Rick is out of touch and Sharon's out of time. And it and and he's telling you that right now. It's August, it's the day of the murders, we know what's going to happen. Rick is completely out of touch because and he's done in Italy, he comes back to America where he has no idea what he's going to do. We get a scene where he's telling Cliff, "Look man, I can't keep you on anymore. I'm married to Francesca. I can't afford you. We're going to sell the house. I'm going to get a condo in Toluca Lake. His whole life is changing. His career is changing. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Cliff Booth is left not knowing what the fuck's going to go on with his life because his, he's dependent upon Rick for his entire living. So he's, he's out of time. Sharon's out of time. Rick's out of touch. And now Rick's out of time because his movies are done. It's just, 
an unbelievably perfect music choice to get us to where we're going. It gives us them walking to the airport with this, you know, and then Rick, pick, uh, I'm sorry, Cliff goes and picks up Brandy from the fucking, from the boarding, the kennel. Uh, it's, it just gets us back into Los Angeles. Cause we were, we were taken to Italy for just, you know, a quick narration in this time, this like six minute, five minute scene. And then we get the four minute transition as they arrive back in Los Angeles and they're all out of touch and out of time. It's fucking beautiful. And then we wind up, you know, Rick and Cliff get completely fucking drunk. They wind up back at their house. Jay and, and Sharon and their guests show up at their house and then the Manson family arrives and they go in the wrong fucking house. They're there to kill Sharon and everybody, but in the in, in Quentin's movie, they wind up in Rick Dalton's house and they run into war hero, wife killer, badass, scarred up stuntman Cliff Booth. And uh, let's just say the Manson family doesn't get to do the job they thought they were going to get to do. Now, when I saw this movie, like I said, and everybody was saying it was the best movie, it's the greatest movie. Here's why. Because from the time the narrator pops in and tells us about Italy to them flying home to the Rolling Stone song that transitions us into that night, them getting drunk, showing us what that that the last 30 minutes of this movie you know what? I'll even go even further from, from the time the neon lights up from before Italy <clears throat> from the Feliciano song. The last 30 minutes of this movie stand with anything Quentin Tarantino's ever done. It's the, it's the, the third act of this movie is fucking astonishing. And the thing is, that's what leaves people coming out of the theater. That, that's what's, what people are left with. That's what they experience coming out of the theater. Nobody, nobody remembers Lancer. Nobody remembers that. You know, if you're gonna like, if, if you're me now and I'm peeling this onion, you, you remember all that stuff in the beginning. Um, you remember that the Manson family scene in the middle doesn't really pay off the way it should. You remember all these different things, but <clears throat> if you are, my throat is all fucked up. Why? <clears throat> Probably shouldn't have done that right in the fucking, in the, <laughs> hold on, let me write a time code to fucking erase that shit. Jesus Christ. Um, so people, you know, you, you are, you forgive the indulgence of the first two acts of the film because the third act just grabs you by the fucking throat and then eventually grabs you by the balls and then eventually burns you to a fucking crisp. It just, it just smashes your face into, into what's happening over and over again. It's phenomenal. It just burns you up, dude. I mean, I'm telling you, 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 the third act and, and so then things happen with the Manson family and things are, are things go awry for them certainly. And then there's this quiet epilogue where Rick Dalton says goodbye to Cliff Booth, Cliff Booth leaves. And again, I don't want to spoil too much. And, uh, and then Rick Dalton is, he, he winds up having a conversation with JC bring. And then he winds up talking to Sharon Tate through a speaker, uh, on the driveway and she invites Rick Dalton up for a drink. And then there's this beautiful piece of music that's from a movie called judge Roy bean. And it, it sounds like a fairy tale music. And we follow, we take the camera, we follow Jay Sebring and Rick Dalton up the driveway, and then he meets Sharon, and they meet Abigail Folger and, and Wojtek Frakowski. He gets invited in, and the music plays, and then the, the title card comes up, and it just says, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you realize what he's done. He has, uh, he has essentially taken a flamethrower to the Manson family myth. 
uh, he has he has made them not as dangerous. He has made them not as spooky, not as scary. I mean, even the name Manson family invokes dread, and he is he has defanged them in this movie in this moment. Is it true? No, but is it a fucking master storyteller telling you the story he wanted to tell? Yes, it is. And so Rick Dalton hugs Sharon Tate in the driveway after the Manson family has been defeated. It's, and you see the title card that says once upon a time in Hollywood, you realize that he has told a violent fable about that particular time in Hollywood. And uh, does it have a fairy tale ending? It does. But you know why? Because he wanted it to, because he was telling a story. He was never telling you true facts. He's telling you his interpretation. And when you realize that, you can also look at the fact that when Cliff Booth tells you the story about Bruce Lee being kind of an arrogant prick on the set of Green Hornet, well, that's Cliff Booth's interpretation of that. When, when Rick Dalton is telling, you're talking about Italy, or when Rick Dalton is talking about how he's perceived in the industry, or how he perceives uh, the hippies, that's his interpretation. You know, you're, you're seeing, he's so good at telling stories through each individual character's eyes and yet still keeping his vision intact. It's phenomenal. That's why whenever you see Sharon Tate, everything is bright. Everything is sunny. Everything is gorgeous because that's who she is inside. That's who she is as a person. She brings light and love everywhere she goes. Even when she talks to the woman at the ticket booth, she talks to Ruben, the guy who works at the theater. You can see they're just, I mean, you know, the ticket booth lady is a little fucking weird at first, but then when she finds out who she is, she's touched by her and takes a photo and she, you know, she slags her a little bit, but that's okay. She's, you know, cynical ticket booth chick, but Ruben sees her and is delighted. He's very nice. Uh, anybody who interacts with her is just, is, is joyful because she's there. And, and so she belongs in this movie. She's the framing device. And then when the end pays off with her still being around, you realize, oh, the light wins. The darkness was defeated. And this is a fable about a particular time in Hollywood. Did he use real characters? Yes. I mean, fucking Lancer's even a real goddamn show. There's no Rick Dalton, but there is a James Stacy. There's a scene at the Playboy Mansion where you see Steve McQueen. And by the way, this guy looks like fucking Steve McQueen. It's crazy. And my favorite thing is that, you know, Steve McQueen, there's a guy playing Steve McQueen in the movie. If they make this movie and, you know, whatever the fuck, if Steve McQueen's still alive, he's the Brad Pitt role. That's the Steve McQueen role. The fucking tough guy masculinity, but not overbearing. Not, not what it became in the 80s with action movies with Schwarzenegger and big pumped up fucking jerked up muscles and guys fucking, you know, I'll be back and whatever the fuck. That's why Bruce Willis in Die Hard is so effective. He's not a fucking huge muscle guy, but he's he's also a smart ass and he's fucking resilient and tough and he's what you want to see masculinity be. And that's what Brad Pitt is in this movie. He's Cliff Booth. He's Steve McQueen. He's playing basically Steve fucking McQueen, except if Steve McQueen was a failed stuntman who lived in a fucking trailer. I mean, it's it's. It's amazing to me that he can tell you so many divergent stories through the eyes of so many different characters and yet keep his whole vision intact. And that's what he did. And I, I, I had that epiphany when I saw it the second time. And I saw it a third time because I wanted to spend my birthday with the movie because I loved it. And I wanted to see it with a full house and fresh crowds. And, uh, and I'm telling you, man, that first two thirds, does everything land? No. Does every joke hit? No. But that final act that's what everybody floats out of the theater remembering. And that's why you'll hear people say, this is the best of all time. This is his greatest work. And if you look at it in total and you look at the whole film, like I said, you have to see it twice. I'd recommend it seeing more times, but I'm mean, you know, money's are movies are expensive. But the first time you see it, don't, don't make that your interpretation. See it a second time. 
and live in it. Live in the characters and let him take you where he wants to take you. You know, on Comedy Film Nerds, Graham hated it. Chris, Chris really liked it. Didn't think he would, but then realized he did. Graham hated it. My buddy Pat hated it. They're like, nah, he's showing off. He's doing too much Tarantino stuff. He's boring. He's this, he's this. And I'm just like, you know, you go in expecting a thing from him and he doesn't give you what you really expected. Then you're willing to dismiss it. But I, I, I can't be like that. Certainly the first time I saw it, I was like, yeah, Jesus, I wish that this did this and this did this. And then the second time I saw it, I think I gained some perspective and I went, oh, and I will tell you all three times I've seen it after the craziness of the third act in the epilogue. And then when the title card comes up, what's the time and time in Hollywood, people fucking cheer. They cheer because they realize what he's done. He's retold a famous story and given it a happy ending. He's created a fable and, and you went there with him. He took you there and, and we're all waiting for Sharon Tate to die. We're all waiting for bad things to happen. We're all filled with dread the whole movie waiting for this character who we now love. And I, I'm so happy because, again, when they announced the movie, the Tate family was furious. Oh, my God, you're exploiting my sister. Why are you doing this? And, and oh, my God, I'm, how many N-words are going to be in this movie? And it's going to be so fucking violent. And Jesus Christ. And you watch this movie, and it's, it's a filmmaker who, who, who's aging and knows it. You know, that, that, that fucking monologue that Rick gives about, you know, you're not the best anymore and you're feeling more useless every day. That could be Tarantino himself talking. I got no question that Tarantino sees himself in Rick Dalton and probably wishes he saw a lot more of himself in Cliff Booth. And, uh, and, and he told the story he wanted to fucking tell. And I, I love it. I just, I, I'm all for it. This is a guy who's, who's doing what he wants to do. And I think that's so important for filmmakers, whether it's Guillermo del Toro or, or Paul Thomas Anderson, um, David Fincher, let these guys tell the stories they want to fucking tell and let them tell it their way. You know, this is a movie that it's based in 1969 and it's very much a movie. This movie would have been very comfortable in the seventies because in the seventies, you let filmmakers make movies. You let guys make a two and a half hour movie, like coming home. You let guys explore complicated issues like Vietnam and and the way the world was changing. You let sprawling epics happen. And this is a sprawling epic. It is, it is a poem about Los Angeles. It is a, a, a story about male relationships it is a story about aging and seeing your past in the rearview mirror and realizing you're never going to be there again. Certainly not the way you were. You're never going to be better. You're never going to be faster. You will never be at the top of your game again. And I'm sure he's feeling that as a filmmaker. That's why he says he's going to retire after his 10th film. But also he says a ton of shit. He's talking about making Kill Bill 3 now. Who the fuck knows? I, I don't know. But I know this. Whatever that fucking guy wants to do, I'm in. Hateful Eight was a misstep for me. I agree. I need to rewatch it again and see if the things that I really liked in it are worth it. Because again, I'm now mad at myself. I didn't give it a second try. I'm mad that I didn't give Hateful Eight a second attempt. You know what I did? I let me thinking about how my ex would feel about it influence the way I felt about it. I was watching it through her eyes rather than through my own. And I will be honest with you. But again, that scene with the male rape, that you don't need that. I don't need seven minutes of that. I got to be honest as me. But I, re- I recognize now that I was watching that movie with uh, almost as a, huh, 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 what'd you think, huh? Like I was trying to, it was almost like I was trying to impress her with something I loved and that's foolish, that's silly. You can't be like that. You have to take each piece of art on face value. 
And that's why with this movie, like I said, the first time I saw it, my, my face value reaction were the first two thirds. I'm like, man, I don't need a full episode of Lancer. I don't need black and white. I don't need a car filled the camera in the backseat of the car. I don't need two different car rides. I don't need the Playboy Mansion. If you're not going to pay it off, I don't need Dern. I don't need that. That's, that's all that stuff. But I also would then button it by going, but it's really good. It's really good. I definitely really liked it. And I love Pitt and DiCaprio because they're fucking phenomenal. Well, when I saw it the second time and I said to myself, you know, put your hands in yourself in the hands of the filmmaker. Um, I, I, I love it. And now all I want to do is see it. I'd see it every day. And, and, um, is it because I relate to issues that are in the film? Yeah. Is it because it, uh, it speaks to me being 52 feeling more useless every day? Do I see myself in Rick Dalton, a guy who maybe peaked and now is just trying to fucking scramble? Yeah. Do I see myself in Cliff Booth, a guy who chased it and never caught it and now is living in uh, in the valley and wondering what's going to happen next? Yeah. And And so that's probably why it means so much to me upon second viewing and upon third viewing. Um, and that's really all great art can do. It can reflect yourself back at you. It can reflect the filmmaker. It can reflect his life and how he feels. And you can either immerse yourself in it. You can dismiss it out of hand. You can go, well, this is too cute by half. And he shouldn't have done this. And he shouldn't have done that. But goddamn, aren't you tired of people to do that? Aren't you tired of, of dismissing things? I, and look, there's stuff that's easily dismissible. And this world's a fucking, it's, it's literally on its third swirl down the fucking drain. At least this country is. And I get that. We all get that. I see shit falling apart and like whatever the fuck. And I, 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 so take joy where you can. And I see joy in this. I see joy in letting somebody whose work I've loved for, for 20 years, 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. And I saw reservoir dogs. I talked about this on comedy film nerds. I saw reservoir dogs when I was 24 years old and it, it fucking spoke to me in a way that no movie ever had. And I knew I was like, that guy made a movie for fucking for me. And there's, there are movies you see where you go, Jesus Christ, that's amazing. And then the second movie, you're like, nah. And then the third movie, eh. Well, this guy made fucking seven home runs in a fucking row for me. There's a reason he's a legend. There's a reason I love him as much as I do. Again, that first movie spoke to me in such a way, but I was 24. Well, now I'm 52. And, uh, and I love this movie just as much as I loved the first. So... I think he's grown as a filmmaker. I think I've grown with him. Now, let me say this. Do I think a 24-year-old who sees this movie, knowing all the hype about Tarantino and not being in on the ground floor, feels the same way I do? I'm not sure. The world has changed. Art has changed. Pixels are fighting pixels. There's capes and masks everywhere. You're getting movies that have to be, because marketing says so, an hour and 41 minutes, and that's it. There's nobody indulging. There's nobody being laconic. There's nobody... Just letting you experience movie thing, things. Movies happen to you now. You know, it's funny in 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 the movie. That's that's a good way to put it. Cliff Booth's life happened to him, and then he's sitting there in a trailer, looking at, at a fucking black and white TV, just going, "All right." One one of the best things ever. <laughs> There's a man. I'm gonna because it made me laugh every time he did it. Mannix is on the TV and uh, Mannix's secretary is like, yeah, he didn't. He then he disappeared. He never showed up. And Mannix goes, well, you know, musicians, they're temperamental cats. Maybe he just fucking ran out. And Brad Pitt goes, yeah, (laughs) to the fucking TV screen. It's so gorgeous. There's just little moments like that. And and I guess what I'm saying is we we, we're so quick to tear things apart. We're so quick to go. Oh, 
I see so many people now that it's too long. Or why is the fucking this in here? Why is that in here? And these are all things that these are instincts my friend Graham had. And I hear it. I saw what Pat said. I see people saying it and I get it. I mean, and if this isn't for you, it's not for you. But I think you'd be well served to let this be for you, to give it another chance. If you saw it once, see it twice. There's a a, a phrase, a saying, you give a genius a lot of rope. Well, I'll tell you what. Tarantino's got the whole fucking cargo net. He's got the he's got every fucking noose you could possibly have, and he can hang me all he fucking wants. I'm on board with anything that guy wants to do. I think he's grown. I think he's maturing, and uh, and I love what he's done. He's made a sprawling poem about Los Angeles and about male relationships and about aging, and I think you owe it to yourself if if any of those things mean anything to you, and and. Uh, they should certainly aging, certainly relationships, certainly how you relate to friends or I, it's just, it's, it's art and it's worthwhile. And I, I think you should experience it for yourself and don't be so quick to fucking judge it. We're all so quick to go, Oh, that sucked. Or this sucked. Or that sucked. We're on to the next thing. Like, it's funny. I, I, you know, I see this movie and already we're beaten over the head with Shaw and Hobbs or whatever the fuck fast and furious, the rock and Jason Statham and loud music and blowing up trailers and a hot air balloon fight. And I mean, yeah, okay, good for you. But if you just want to see a fable, a story, and you want to see a fucking filmmaker at the top of his game, writing and filmmaking, and you want to see two actors, three actors crush it out of the park with their performances. You want to, you literally want to just throw rose petals in front of Margot Robbie's feet from every scene in this movie. She's so kind and perfect and beautiful. And uh, and Pitt and DiCaprio are astonishing, and it's just, it's just damn good. And I loved it, and I think you will, and I think you should see it. And you shouldn't just see it once; you should see it twice. You should see it three times. You should see it with me. By all means, everybody come to town and watch it with me. That's what I would do. I would. I say we should all go together. Maybe in Canada. Well, in Canada, we're we gonna go see it. Uh, although I've spoiled the shit out of it now, you probably don't want me this, this appeal to everybody. Hey, go see it with me in Canada. Oh, you already know the ending because I just fucking told you. And I'll tell you what my plan was. Here's what I was going to do. Uh, <laughs> I will. I, I was going to attach. I, I, I was lucky enough in 2010. Uh, I actually got to perform for Quentin Tarantino. Those who are longtime listeners of this show will understand and realize and remember I had a producer named Lily Von Stupp and she was a burlesque producer and she put on a Tarantino burlesque show that was phenomenal. It was a success, crushed it out of the park. People loved it. And then Quentin Tarantino himself heard about it and said, I want to book that show. So when they were filming Inglorious Bastards in 2010, uh, or no, it was after it had just come out. Actually, it had just come out. <clears throat> but he, 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 he fucking, he booked it. She got a call from his assistant, said he wants to go ahead and hire everybody to do this. He rented a theater in Los Angeles. I was the host because I'm such a fucking Tarantino psychopath. And I hosted it and I introduced acts and and we did, you know, we did a, a bingo game. It's, it's, it is truly one of my most memorable nights uh, in show business. If I'm even in show business, certainly in my career, it is one of the most memorable nights I've ever had because I got to perform for a private audience of Quentin Tarantino and his friends, including the cast of Inglorious Bastards. They rented a theater. They came out uh, a lot of crew people behind the scenes, people Tarantino himself. I got to take a photo with Tarantino and the whole cast and I, my mouth is opening. It's the stupidest photo of all time. I was like, but it was that thing where you couldn't ask Quentin to take another photo. You know what I mean? So I'm like, I got my mouth open. I'm like, what are you doing? Dummy? Um, because it's a photo I would love to share with everybody, but I look so terrible in it. It's just, it's whatever. Uh, but I was able to meet him 
and I was able to talk to him and he told me I was really funny. He heckled me when I was on stage. Uh, but there's a long story about that. And I was able to do, it was when I was doing this podcast, it was year three and I was going to put that uh, episode here. Uh, <laughs> I, I was going to piggyback it with this episode and have it be one piece. Well, you know how things happen when I open a microphone and I start talking. Uh, we're, we're, I glance up now and we're, we're, we're almost at two hours. And this other show is two hours and 20 minutes. So putting out a four hour and 20 minute podcast, although it sounds good for you, weed heads, bang, bang, bang. Uh, that doesn't seem like something that's very practical. So what I'm going to do now, because I've already done the plugs, we're already in and out of this fucking show. Um, I'm going to put this out. This is going to be a standalone piece. It's the spoiler episode for once upon a time in Hollywood. And I'm going to, uh, also put up as a companion piece for those of you who care to listen again, I'm going to put up episode 23 from year three and, uh, and let you hear an episode called hurricane of happy. That's going to go up and, um, and you can hear that unbelievable episode again, telling the story of inglorious bastards and you know, all the whole story behind the show coming together and the night of the show itself. Because, uh, as I've mentioned before, I'm, I've been very lucky in my life. I, I, people who have influenced me strongly, I've been able to meet and speak with, um, and tell them, and I, I think I've talked about this. I don't know if I talked about it on this show or I was telling somebody, Comedy, not so much. You know, I, I've never met, I didn't get to meet George Carlin before he passed. I've never met Letterman. Um, I've never met uh, Jay Leno, although I probably could at some point. I've never met, um, I, I was, I, Dennis Miller was behind me in line at Quiznos and I, I did not talk to him because when I turned around to look at him, he, first of all, I'm a, I'm a foot taller than him and uh, almost, I mean, it, he just seemed very small when I looked at him and he shrunk because he didn't want to be noticed and I knew it and so I didn't bother him. Cause he's just there to get a fucking toasty sandwich, but I would have loved to be able to tell him that I was doing comedy because of him. You know, I've never in comedy. I've never been able to talk to my heroes, but in real life, like I've been able to tell Eddie Van Halen what his work meant to me. I was able to tell Steve Vai what his work meant to me. And most importantly, I was able to meet Quentin Tarantino and tell him what his work meant to me. And he was very gracious and very nice. And, uh, like I said, he busted my balls on stage, but then he told when he, look, he told me I was funny. So I always look, we have ghosts and fucking self-doubt and all sorts of bullshit swimming around in our head. I should remember the part that in August of 2010, nine years ago this month, uh, I met Quentin Tarantino. He saw me perform and he told me I was fucking funny and I've only gotten better since. So, uh, I'm going to, I was going to attach that file here, but that seems like this would be a four hour and 20 minute fucking extravaganza. Nobody wants that. So I'm going to put it up as a companion piece. So this shows up now, listen to it and love it. And you will see in the feed also, uh, I will, I'll do a little spoken word introduction for that as well, but it's going to go up and you can listen to that as a reminder that I've met the man and as a real descriptor about the fucking greatest night in history when Lily and I both got to meet and perform for Quentin Tarantino. And, uh, it was astonishing. So what I'm going to do now, because, uh, I'm that guy, I'm going to let the Rolling Stones take us out. Because this fucking song, dudes, it is, for me, it plays such a pivotal point in this movie and it gets across the message. Like I said, these guys, the, all these characters, some of them are out of touch, but all of them are out of time because uh, it's August and the Manson family's coming and time is up. But thanks to Quentin Tarantino, some of these characters still have all the time in the world.
too long. 